Welcome to the Game of Thrones podcast, the officially unofficial podcast for Game of Thrones on HBO. I'm Jim. And I'm Aaron. And today we're talking about Season 1, Episode 7, You Win or You Die. That's true of the podcasting game, too. Yeah. You win or you die. Uh, there's no throne. There's no real cool, like, sword throne to sit on, or microphone throne. There's a porcelain throne. <laughs> there, there is that, I, yeah. I, I do take, I do hold court there, uh... At various times during the day. Yeah, but I feel like Tywin's not a guy who'd sit on a porcelain throne. <laughs> like I, maybe he, he should avoid an outhouse. Actually, yeah. Uh, I I also think that maybe Cersei should watch. Uh, uh, was it War Games? War Games with Matthew yeah. Broderick. Yeah, get the Whoppers philosophy in there. Just don't play. Oh right, it, yeah. It's not a binary option, Cersei. <laughs> there is a third choice. Yeah, you can do. There's other options besides fucking the drunken king and your brother. Like it's always black mm. and white with this woman. What's going on? Yeah. Uh, well, what do you think of this episode? I, I actually was really blown away by how good this episode was, and it might be uh-huh. that I've spent uh, like two weeks away from Game of Thrones, or just like you know, absence makes the heart fonder or whatnot. But like, mm. I just was really pleased with. And, and remembering like my initial reactions to it, and 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 how kind of shocking everything was at the end, but yet when I'm watching it a second time, how inevitable it all felt. Yeah, like like yeah, it, it really wasn't does. like you know when she tears up that that pardon or the, well, the king's decree, and she goes, "Oh, a paper shield, Ned Stark." I'm mm-hmm. like, "Oh fuck, yeah, that the how stupid." Right, but like when he got that and changed it, I'm like, "Oh, this is Ned playing the game." You know what I'm saying? The first time, I'm like, "Oh, he's being he's being crafty there." Yeah, and the second time through, like Littlefinger's betrayal is telegraphed. I mean, he, right. the the scene between him and Ned in Ned's whatever it is office, right? Yeah, uh, you can just tell Littlefinger he's trying to convince him of one thing. Ned says no, and then Littlefinger's like, "Well, okay." And then ev- literally everyone is telling him, "You're this is this is the yeah. worst of all outcomes you're pursuing." Right, and Rinley, Rinley, I mean, everyone, Littlefinger, even Cersei uh-huh. is 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 saying these things, and it just doesn't penetrate his uh, understanding of how the world should work. Yeah, he's got this shell of honor that sure, that's just nothing gets through. Sure. Uh, yeah, uh, but no, I thought I, I thought it's great, and there's just some epic, iconic scenes. Like you get peak Drogo, uh, and this you, you yeah. get, um, you know, uh, there's also like I oh man, some of the sex position <laughs> right. is really like I remember being kind of a staunch defender of it, like you know, because uh, it was all kind of new information. Mm-hmm. But now it's just like it goes on for so long, and it's so gratuitous, and it you is. know, love Roz, she's my favorite gal. <laughs> Uh, not gonna complain about seeing her, but man, that scene goes on for a long time. It does, yeah. Littlefinger gives a whole speech and everything. And fucking, we meet Tywin Lannister, played by Charles Dance, and he's right. just incredible. The way he, the deals intensity with... of that performance, and, is... and and we've been conditioned to kind of hate the Lannisters, and then you meet mm-hmm. the the head of the family, and it's like, oh right, this is why they're ballers. Yeah, this is why they run shit because like you look at. You look at Ned, you look at Robert, mm-hmm. uh, and then you look at Tywin, and even if, you know, he's literally carving up a stag, he's literally, you know, going at the Baratheon Empire here, he's, right. he's the one that's like, okay, this actually makes a lot of sense, what he's saying. Yeah, and, and it's, it's nuanced. I, I agree, and it's actually really interesting when you juxtapose it with Ned, who's who's kind of the other house leader here. Um, the other father figure who who has the same responsibilities as right. Tywin to right. 
you know carry on the legacy there but he views it completely differently and and it's funny because he he says like i don't want any bloodshed like Mm -hmm. in this room but multiple people point out that you are going down a course that's going to wash the kingdom in blood right like taking this to stannis and calling your banners is, is going to lead to deaths of thousands if not tens or hundreds of thousands yet yeah. he's really can he's really concerned about dragging children from their beds and and not spilling any blood right in the the royal throne room it's just so funny to see mm-hmm. uh, a second time through but no i i i thought it's great yeah me too why don't we get into the recap let's do it we start off with jamie visiting his father with the message that he's to report to king's landing answer for his crimes all that stuff about the mountain we heard last episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tywin tells Jamie to toughen up and gives him half their forces to go take back Tyrion uh, because the reputation of the, and legacy of their house is at stake here. And, and Tywin sees that. And is Tywin wrong with any of... I mean, if you are the lord of a great house, mm-hmm. what is the that he's saying is wrong? That, like, you know, it's not about my personal honor or our dignity or our fortune or fame. It's about our family name. And the difference between opinion, like you are the Kingslayer versus a yeah. fact, which is... They'll they lose ta- respect. Yeah, like that's like... Like, like if, if we let someone hold them with impunity, that does real damage to our reputation because it either says we're mentally weak that we won't contest it or we're physically weak, we're unable to contest it. Right. And like just how smart he is from... Uh, uh, both a, a tactical, a strategic, and a di- diplomatic angle. Yeah, yeah, he's a politician. Yeah, uh, he, you know, he's also a politician with a sword. Don't sure. get me wrong. Uh, it seems like he's a capable warrior as well. But uh, for first and foremost, he's a politician. And I, I just there's like so many cool character details. Like he is this great lord. Yeah, he has any dozens and hundreds of people who can carve up venison for him. Yeah, but he's doing it himself. I mean, he might have taken this deer himself. He's going to carve it up. He's going to dress it. Uh, that says a lot. And and you know, like uh, I guess you'd call this a carnivore's position. Like just just like okay, instead of having Littlefinger just speechify in front of a mirror, have him speechify in front of two whores that are going t- town on each other. Right. Like it says a lot about him. He could this, this could have just been a scene over a dinner table, but having mm. Tywin just going at this deer and and dressing it is says a lot about his character. Yeah, I think so. Uh, and and a lot of that comes through because of I'm I'm gonna call him Chuck D. That's what I call him, Chuck yeah, D. Sure. Uh, Charles Dance's performance yes. in this scene. I mean, he just there's an intensity on his face where every word that comes out of his mouth you take seriously. And so the first time I've ever seen Charles Dance, he plays the googly-eyed, weird assassin from uh, The Last Action Hero. Hmm. The kind of uh, Arnold. I'm not sure I've seen that movie actually. Oh, okay, so it's it's a um, an Arnold Schwarzenegger parody, except for it's not really a parody. Okay, it's it's like a what if movie? Like you get is sucked Sinbad into- in it. That's what I want to know. <laughs> no, 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 no. Okay, that's why I never saw it. It, it parodies a lot of like action hero tropes and stuff, but I, I, I don't know. I've always had a soft spot. I saw it when I was like 13. I uh, thought it was pretty great. great. Yeah. Uh, I've seen him in a lot of stuff since, but um, he does have this way of playing this. Like, you can, it would be, it would kind of suck to have this guy as your father. I would think so. Because it's not just that nothing you do is good enough, but. I mean, it's like I get the impression this man has never made a mistake in his life. Or at least he thinks he's never made a mistake. Or if he knows, he's probably <laughs> – that's the thing. Is that I think he has made mistakes, and he probably knows it because he's 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 got mm. a pretty realistic view of his own capabilities. But 
no one else does. Like, he makes mistakes and probably goes when he's viewing the tape, like, oh, I fucked, you know, I could have gotten a thousand horses out of that deal instead of 900. <laughs> right. But it's not, you know, that's just, you know, you'd have to be Tywin Lannister to, to see the mistakes he's making. Sure. Uh, I can't believe I'm giving this much blowjob to Tywin Lannister, honestly. He's a fucking it's, Lannister. Sure, <laughs> sure. But he's the most impressive of the Lannisters. Did you feel about this way about Tywin? The, I mean, because I kind of felt like that this was the point where Game of Thrones starts to become the three-dimensional good guys don't always win thing right. that, like, up in this point, because I was completely ignorant. I'd never, I've, I heard of Game of Thrones, but, you know, I was just watching the series week by week. I hadn't, hadn't read the books. And yeah. I was thinking, okay, well, I can kind of see how this season's going to go down. It's going to be this epic conf- confrontation between the Starks and the Lannisters. Uh-huh. This is the episode where you start to find out the Lannisters, like, oh, it's not just, you know, like, everyone likes Tyrion. You can at least admire Tywin. Sure. And see the truth of his words, mm-hmm. and also the good guys might not win this one. Yeah, no, I, I mean the the betrayal of Ned is certainly surprising, um, and you're right about the three dimensionality of it. It's it it feels like a real world, um, right? It do, it doesn't just feel like a made up TV world. Yeah, it's not Darth Vader and Grand Admiral or Grand Grand Moff Tarkin talking about torturing a princess yeah, and blowing, blowing up the up world. And, oh, ha, ha, ha. Right. Let's disband the Senate and fuck ever. It, it's like, hey, these are the realistic concerns, and this is a natural reaction we're having to the to the mo- movements of our enemies, right. who are the Starks. Yeah, makes sense. Uh, is this a real animal that he's cutting up here? Do you know that he's I, skinning? I do not know. I don't know. Because if not, man, it's a hell of a prop. It really is. I know they've addressed this because I have think okay. that Charles Dance actually did a commentary, and I didn't have time to watch it. Hmm. Um, but I know that it's been addressed. I know the answer is there, uh, but I, I have no idea. Okay. Uh, I don't think he knew how to dress a deer. Because I think in I've the re- scene while they were filming, yeah, like that. This is something that, like you know, that that that, that he kind of learned enough to do. Okay. Like stage stage right. carved deer. Yeah, it's not like he's like from a proud tradition of hunters. Maybe I get that wrong sure. too. I don't know anything about Charles Dance. <laughs> okay, uh, we move on to Ned confronting Cersei about her relationship with oh, Jamie. Wait, before yep. we move on, the yep. other thing about Tywin is just when you think like, oh, he'd be a, a merciless son of a bitch to be the son of, or to be the 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 mm-hmm. the be the be one of his children. At the end, when he grabs Jamie by like by the neck and says, "You be, I need you to become the man you were always meant to be." Uh, that's why, like, yes, it would be so harsh and uncompromising to be his child, but also that's why you always want to make him happy. Because at the very end, you know this great man sees greatness in you, and you don't want to disappoint <laughs> him. Right. So it's like Jamie's really in, in, in between the, these, these pinchers. Like, I trust, like, I've talked a bunch of shit about you, but even still, you're a Lannister. You're destined for greatness. Here's 30,000 men. Don't fuck up. Yeah. And I don't think you're going to fuck up. And specifically, he says, you know, you've been given all these advantages. Yes. And, and to date, you haven't done anything with them, but. Right, you're that's that's part of you. You need to do it now. Which, like, uh, even within his family, he's an expert diplomat. It's crazy. Sure. So Ned confronts Cersei about her relationship with Jaime. Uh, she doesn't try to hide it, actually, which is really strange to me. And then Ned says that he's going to tell Robert when he returns, and that Cersei is to leave the city before then. Cersei, uh, you know, threatens him with the "you win or you die" stuff, right. which becomes pretty even extra ominous at the end of this episode when he's taken prisoner uh why does she admit so freely what's going on here she doesn't try to deny it in any way 
I actually think that she, if if I if I'm reading everything correctly, I think that she already knows what Ned knows, and these plans are already mm-hmm. under path. Because John Aaron found out, and presumably sure. uh, Cersei might have been involved in killing him. Right. Um. So you got to think, yeah, he he followed that path as well. Yeah. She's just assuming a lot. And here, with all the spies that you know that still, like. like I don't know why she would ever admit it to anyone, even if they have her dead to rights. Like, deny, deny, deny. That's yeah, the strategy here, But right? on the other hand, I think that this is Cersei, that, like, you know, this is a three-dimensional world, and we're seeing that Cersei is not quite the Machiavellian, you know, overlord that Tywin is. Sure. Because she yeah. did create, she did make an unforced error, which is, uh, and, and you know, we will see what comes of it, but Ned Stark gets off a message to Stannis. Yeah. Saying like all the you know all this talking all this shit about the the fact that uh, Jamie and Cersei are still sharing a womb so to speak, uh, <laughs> right? So I think that shows that early on, all the Lannisters. Uh, it, it's really cool how they're showing like the difference in Jamie and Cersei and Tyrion, and then we see Tywin who kind of has like like they're they're almost like a all uh, three different aspects of him split off. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Cersei got all of his pride and his arrogance. Uh, Jamie got like a lot of his martial skill and his wit, uh, and then Tyrion got the smarts and not much. And, and, nothing and else. Not much else. No, yeah. nothing. <laughs> and half as much as the others uh, on everything else. So yeah. I, I think that's that's really cool. Uh, do you agree that it was a mistake for Ned not to take the throne when he had the chance? Well, so this is the first time we've actually gotten this information in the show, I think. I know we talked about in the spoiler section that that Ned, when he came during the sack of King's Landing, he found mm-hmm. Jamie sitting on the Iron Throne and said, get the fuck off. Yeah. I don't know. But I, didn't claim it for himself. I, I remember there was a lot of talk in the first seasons about what if, what if. And, and I right. feel like that Ned would have made a pretty terrible king in his own right. They would have been completely different mistakes. Sure, but they would have still ultimately probably plunged the realm because the thing is, Ned, we we already know that Varys is working with Illyrio to destabilize the realm. Mm-hmm. Varys is way fucking smarter than Ned. We know that Littlefinger is working to get everything in this episode. Littlefinger is way smarter than Ned. Yeah, uh, you know, Robert uh, pardoned all of the the, the loyalists that he defeated. Uh, Ned counseled to destroy or to either disgrace, banish, or destroy them. What would that have done to an already fret? Like maybe this stuff happens twenty years earlier. Imagine how many advisors there'd be in Essos right now, right? If he had banished exactly. everyone in the kingdom, exactly. Like anyone with a grudge against Westeros is right. going to be scheming in Essos, and <laughs> yeah, I, I I don't know. Like, what do you think? Yeah, I I agree with you largely. I don't think he would make. I I think he would make a just king and and probably a good ruler in peace times, but I think he would be ousted from the throne immediately. Yeah. Like he, he would probably just be killed. I think the small folk would love him. Yeah. Because he probably would stick up for them. And, you know, he's kind of humble and the rough yeah. spun and, mm-hmm. uh, and all that. It'd be kind of like a uh, Nebraska farmer being president. Like, mm-hmm. you know, uh, a lot of people could say, okay, well he's salt of the earth and whatnot. Uh, or peanut farmer, Jimmy, he's Jimmy Carter. Uh, okay, right. Tell, uh, winter's coming. We all need to wear sweaters. Turn down our thermostats. You know, Build there's only, only so much dragon fire to go around. Um, I yeah, I, I I just don't think he would have been a very effective king. Yeah, very few people are. Sure. 
Okay, let's move on. Uh, Littlefinger teaches Roz and another one of his new whores how to do their jobs in a graphic, graphic sex scene here. Uh, gratuitous, not not super graphic. Uh, the topic. I of... love at the middle. He's like getting it now. now do now do butt stuff. <laughs> <laughs> okay, it's it's I I don't know. It's just really funny. Play play with her butt or his, I, what did he say? I don't remember. It's like okay, things are taking a turn. Uh, things are being flipped up and reversed. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, the topic of Catelyn comes up, and Littlefinger tells a related story of a duel and how he kind of learned to how to get what he wants. He needs to you know be himself. Right. Uh, and that's, you know, and then, uh, Roz finishes this girl off. And this is all, there's a lot of stuff being told, but one, but one of the blatant things is this a metaphor for his relationship with Ned, right? The what fact is? that you ease into it, the, you know, they know this is an act and they don't trust you, but it takes time to make oh, him forget right. yeah, and yeah. he wants to believe you and he wants to think that he's this great man that's navigating these corridors of power and everybody subscribes this his because Littlefinger is kind of like the ultimate whore. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's doing this for money and power and he'll do or say anything to get it. So that it works on that level. So that's what I'm saying. Like, I think people dismissing this as purely sex position are off the mark. But on the other right, hand, yeah. it is pretty fucking gratuitous. Um, and then also we get a lot of backstory from Littlefinger that would otherwise just be yeah. kind of some dry conversation that might not even be plausible. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you, The one thing, knowing Littlefinger a little bit better and having a, a better handle on his character, does it seem like him that he would spool out intimate details of his past to his whores? That's the only thing that kind of bugs me as a seasoned yeah. veteran watcher. That's a little strange. Uh, I, I mean, I guess I'm taking all this at face value and saying it's true. Um, I guess none of these things could hurt him because all the lords and ladies of the land would know this story already. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, how much of his like affection for Catelyn does he reveal here? Quite a bit, yeah? I mean, it's not just like, oh, we grew up together and there was a duel. Like, historical right. fact, it's more like... His feelings, well, which is strange for Littlefinger to to unveil. That's true, and the current state of them, because I know we've debated in the spoiler section and maybe even on the podcast about, like, where does he stand with Cat right now? Yeah. And if you take him at his word, which I kind of do, I think this is a fairly unguarded moment, mm-hmm. he's always speaking of his affection and his love for her in a past tense. But he's also saving himself for another, right? is what he says, which I have to think is bullshit. Well, but I, he also says that she's not attractive. Like, I don't know what how you, you, you come down on Catelyn Stark as the, yeah. the played in the series, but I think she's a handsome woman. She's not bad looking, sure. No. So he's, he's I, I feel like when he says another- and Impeccable that, bloodlines. I mean, my and, God. And just, she's got impeccable bloodlines. So we're yeah. looking for someone who I don't think is Cat. Um, and this, even when he's phrasing, I'm saving myself for another, I don't, I still don't think he's talking about cat because that another is in co- uh, contrast to the woman that he talks about as, as a youth, which was clearly cat. Um, and that he's kind of right. humiliated and now he wants to fuck him. And, and by doing that, he's going to be betraying Ned. I, I feel like that, uh, whatever love you felt for Catelyn is like, that was a formative, uh, that's basically a, you know, don't trust bitches kind of thing. Yeah. You know, sure. And this is very, he's very he's li- he's been listening to Jay Z. <laughs> right. he's, he's got big pimping on repeat on his iPad uh-huh. or iPod, and he's just not going to make that mistake again. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, he's he's a, the minstrel of the time. Mm-hmm. He's sure. roaming the land, singing songs. Right, about as as the great poet once pimpin'. wrote, "Yeah, thug him, fuck him, love him, leave him." <laughs> 
But you don't ever feed them. Nope. <laughs> There's just not a lot of food to go around in that, that world. Right. Uh, so Theon plays with the new wildling girl uh, and kind of tries to fuck her. I don't know. Master Lewin walks in and puts a stop to it, embarrassing Theon. And then Lewin asks uh, why the wildling girl is so far south. She says "There's they were trying to get away from some evil shit up north that has awoken. Hmm. I love this scene because it shows someone changing the fucking rushes. In the books, there's two things you the get a rushes? lot. You, you get a lot of beer and, and grease dripping from beards, and you get a lot of rushes. Like those those reeds that she's carrying on her back. Uh-huh. Apparently, in medieval times, they didn't have wall-to-wall carpeting. And, you know, bare stone or bare dirt floor is uh, is, is cold. Uh, so what they'd do is they'd spread these fragrant, like, uh, reedy rushes on the floor. And they'd have to be changed all the time because they'd go bad. They go. It's like, it's literally like the way you do a hamster cage. You okay. put that shit down that smells nice. And then you have to change it frequently. They're actually showing someone changing the rushes. And this is something that's probably mentioned half a hundred times in the books. What the hell? Yeah. I know. I, and it's like. It's just a passing detail. I know. This. I know. But I loved it so much. Like, ah, huh. oh, she's fucking changing. the. These are rushes. And she's changing them. I've never even heard that term. Okay. Yeah. Well, like I said, you need to read the books. Um, yeah. What I, I like this detail we get about um, Asha. Mm-hmm. Like, she's martyr than Theon. Like, she's given him the business in such a way that he's not even sure he's getting the business. Yeah, and I I I don't know the the family stuff here like when he's when Theon's like, "Oh, my father is Balon Greyjoy, right. lord of the Iron Island, whatever right. the hell he says." Yeah. The, uh and she's like, "What's that got to do with you?" Yeah. It's like So it, when well when he dies, I'll be the lord. So you're not lord now? Why should I like Right, but when you tie this back to like Tywin's conversation with sure. Jamie where Jamie hasn't really done much and right. all that matters is the legacy and just like Theon's not doing anything either. Yeah. He's kind of like Jamie in this situation except maybe even less so. And you know what it would really piss Theon? If I had to bet money on it, I bet Asha's, Asha's heard of the Lannisters. Yeah, you know probably. I bet like, word like, makes like, its way up north. Yeah, like like there's you know you might not know everybody from different countries and stuff, but mm-hmm. like you know you've you've heard of the big like everyone's heard of the the Windsors and Queen Elizabeth. Everybody's heard of the Bushes and the Clintons. Like the like the Balon is. I know what would would he be? The Kim Jong Il. I don't. Know. He'd be like the the Midwest's largest McDonald's franchise owner, okay. right? That's yeah. Balin Greyjoy. No one's mm-hmm. heard of like you know, up against. No, yeah, we've heard of Lannisters. They they pay their debts. They shit gold. Yeah, uh, Balin, like the CEO of IBM or something. Right? right? Yeah, I n- never heard of you, man. <laughs> uh, that and, and also they have this 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 thing where Lewin comes in and bangs this "you're a prisoner boy" thing yeah. home with him again. Mm-hmm. Uh, Same as her. That's, that's that's pretty great. I think this is peak Theon looking goofy scene. This what guy is just like his beard is mop hair, patchy his... and going every which way. Yeah. He hasn't combed his hair in three days. His eyes are at his buggiest and and yeah. kookiest. Mm-hmm. Like him and Remy Malik from Mr. Robot need to get together and have a Google off. <laughs> right. Who can protrude their eyeballs out further from their skull? <laughs> Uh, the lady on David Letterman who could do that like a long time ago, <laughs> like a stupid just human like, trick. Yeah, pop her eyes like right out of socket. Okay, just practically dangling from the optic nerves. It was if disturbing. <laughs> so leaving her out of the competition. <laughs> well, yeah, I think I think I don't know. Just on this scene alone, I think Theon might be able to out Google 
old uh, Mr. Robot. Also, I get the impression that this wildling girl could fuck Theon up. Oh, yeah. Like, Theon's great with a bow. Right. But up close, she's going to tear your throat out. And also, he doesn't respect her at all. Yeah. So, like, yeah, like, it's a good thing Lewin came and saved him, uh, uh, yep. her, or him from her because it seems like she'd just chew him up and spit him out. Uh, I also like the fact that she's saying, like, you know, we meant to get further south than this, which, mm-hmm. like, from last episode, I'm like, yes, yes, you did. You shouldn't, like, why the fuck were you thinking about extorting goods and stuff from the lords when you should just be hiking it? Yeah. Winterfell is not south, despite what you think. You need to keep going. <laughs> sure. Like, keep going until you can wear a bikini and then find a beach and stop there. Like, uh-huh. there's still fucking snow on the ground at this place. You're not far enough south. Agreed. Uh, we move on, speaking of snow, to John and Sam, who are on the wall. They're up top when they spot a riderless horse running toward the gate. They let it inside, and John identifies it as his Uncle Benjamin's horse. But Benjamin's nowhere to be found. Yep. I really love Sam in this scene. I mean, Sam's one of my favorite characters. Ladies' man. Period. Right? <laughs> He's like, it's so sad, because uh-huh. Sam really misses the girls. He likes to hear them giggle, but he doesn't probably realizes they were giggling at him he doesn't care it's a musical sound right he doesn't care he's so used to it by now that he's just like oh it's a nice sound sure poor sam uh let's move on to we talk that's that they established that's bingens they did yeah okay so that's his uncle's horse come out riderless Mm -hmm. that's not good no not at all especially knowing how this whole season began what's up there north like Mm -hmm. what's poor, poor bingen so we go to Rinley fetching Ned to Robert's bedside. He's been gored by a boar and he's dying. Uh, Robert sends everyone out of the room and has Ned write up a document making Ned Lord Regent until Joffrey comes of age. And he also has a change of heart on this Danny thing. He tells Ned, stop the plan to kill her if it's not too late. Uh, and then Ned steps outside and Barristan kind of, you know, is lamenting that he couldn't protect the king. And then Varys wonders aloud, oh, I'm sure Lancel feels real bad about that whole wine thing and giving him too much wine. Uh, and then Ned tells Varys to stop the hit on Danny, but he says, no, no, what was that's your, too late. What's your stance on this Lannisol deal? Because I thought this could be Varys fucking with Ned and, and send him on a wild sure. goose chase because, you know, we saw in previous scenes how Lancel was always being berated for letting Robert's cup run out. Mm-hmm. So, if I'm his squire and I'm gearing up for big boar hunt and I'm just trying to do a good job, or even if I don't give a shit about the king, I'm trying not to get like you know thrown into the black dungeons or put to death or whatever. Yeah, I'm going to try to keep his cup filled. Right. That's you know? why I think it works so well uh, in the show because you don't really know. Right. Like maybe Lancel did it. Maybe Lancel just gave him too much wine. Right. Maybe Lancel poisoned him. Maybe Varys is behind the whole thing. Who knows? Right. At maybe Barristan should have said something like, you know, of course, Ned says you couldn't protect the king from himself, but maybe uh, Barristan should have taken Lancel and said, hey, the king's had enough. Yeah. Start mixing this with water. Like, go oh, 50, you know, he's not going to know coffee. the difference. Wine yeah. and coffee. Wine and coffee. <laughs> uh, so, right. Um, I, I like when they're in in Robert's bed chambers here and and Cersei's still there and she's looking at Ned and she Ned is just threatened look as soon as he gets back I'm going to tell him all oh, about yeah, this that's... and that is on Cersei's face right and on her mind oh yeah and then when she gets sent out of the room she kind of does uh, like but, a hesitant but, but, but Robert my sweet uh-huh you know <laughs> I like, might oh, need to God. stab Ned real quick and then I'll be out of the room uh, <laughs> yeah so I picture her like 
leaving that room and sprinting down the hall to make arrangements. Sure, she's getting on. She's she's on her phone to the Gold Cloaks and uh-huh. to Littlefinger, and she's trying to, to summon her banners, such as they are. Yeah, um, and Littlefinger is suspiciously absent from mm, all this uh, commotion here, yeah, which Barris makes me here. wonder if maybe Pycelle's Cersei and her. Here. Or Cersei and him aren't That's meeting the whole up small, right now. This is the whole small council minus Except Littlefinger. Littlefinger. Yeah, yeah. I think the fix is in from from that point. Yeah. Uh, I also like that. Like when we come in, Robert's trying to comfort Joffrey, who actually is moved. You know, he thinks this is his father. Sure. But but Ro- Robert's like, ah, I wish I'd spent time with you, so you weren't such a fucking shit. <laughs> Right. I never. I didn't know how to be a man. I didn't teach you. You're no man. Like he's just now. Talk- now leave the room, Ned. Yes. Ned, my son's a shit and yes. he's useless. Fix yes. him. Yes. <laughs> I mean, like if you're Joffrey, yeah. Like Joffrey's a shit, but you, yeah, I think he comes by it honestly when you look at his parents. He does. Yeah. Robert's never around. No. He's not teaching that kid anything. Well, if he is, it's something. It's it's all mm. bad. Yeah. How to pour a cask of wine into a how to how to smack your wife around and she gets lippy. Yep. Uh, how to whore on her? Yeah, it's it's all 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 bad. I think it was last episode you were saying uh, in the spoiler section that you thought Robert came around on the Danny thing, but in that episode he didn't, and you were like, okay, well I guess he doesn't. Here he does. He finally on his deathbed, he's like, this is a mistake. Call it off if you can, Ned. What, so, I don't know, how much stock do you put in deathbed con- conversions or confessions? Uh, not a ton. Right. Not a ton. I, I think, you know, that's a time of extreme stress. And that's what I'm saying. It, it fractures like, otherwise clear-headed thinking. Like, like, I know there was a lot at the time, of, there was, and I'm pretty sure it's probably bullshit, but people saying that, like, uh, Carl Sagan... Right. converted to Christianity on his deathbed. like Probably because he said, oh, God, I'm dying yeah. or something. Like, <laughs> you know, and if he did, like, it, I don't think that would, like, oh, well, I'm not, I can't be an atheist anymore. One of my heroes convert, Like, yeah. you know, when you're standing, staring into the abyss, like, may, and also maybe that's just like, a, he, he, if he did, I don't think he did. Mm-hmm. I, I don't have time to Snopes it. But, like, that's a rational move. If, like, one of your last conscious thoughts, you want to you throw a dice and Pascal's right. wager, why not? Uh-huh. You know, you're you're standing before the void. Uh, you know, say a couple Hail Marys. Yeah, because the only reason Pascal's wager doesn't work out is because you have a life to live. Yeah. If you no longer have any choices right. in front of you, just boom, pick one and go. The other problem with Pascal's wager is which god. You know, there's lots sure. of problems with Pascal's wager. But I'm saying it's like But it on your deathbed, those go away. Those yeah, melt like, away. Yeah, like fear and like, you know, the whole no atheist in a foxhole. Well, what yeah. the hell does that even mean? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, people do a lot of crazy, stupid stuff in extreme mo- uh, uh, moments of stress and emotion. So right. I don't... So him dying and and may, maybe it's like also you could look at it for like he's Ned's friend and he's just talked about what a difficult thing this is to be for Ned and maybe he's like you know what Ned uh, I don't want you to think that you have to pursue something that you don't agree with out of my memory like you just be your own king or your own okay re- king giving region. him permission to do the things he knows he's going to do anyway yeah and like, not feel guilty about him yeah like it's like he's 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 given he's releasing Ned from any kind of obligation so there's right. a lot of ways you could take that and I, I don't sure. know. Which uh, it seems like in 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 life, Robert was not going to come around on it. Yeah. Okay, let's go over to Essos. We get a scene of Danny braiding Drogo's hair while she tries to convince him to take the Iron Throne. He doesn't seem to care about the throne at all. Uh, later, she asks Jorah for help convincing him, but he doesn't seem they can. He doesn't seem to think that they can do it without dragons. And by it, I mean take the throne. Uh, the other thing is, I, I remember when I was first watching this, and they're talking about chairs and dirt. I'm like, oh, God, are they? 
Like, they're speaking their own language. Why are they, just, like, using all these weird pigeon terms? And then Drogo corrects her, lands, not dearth, or not dirt. And I'm like, oh, okay. I forgot Danny's still le- learning to speak this language. I'm saying it's like I thought they were making like downplaying. Oh, really? See, I went, I went the other way with it. Like, Drogo would have called those those places dirt, but but he did but correct he's warming her to, like, up to We Danny. actually have the concept of sovereign places beyond you <laughs> right. Know? But I I was thought he's saying your homeland is not dirt. Your oh. homeland is a land. Like he's showing her some respect oh, here. No, okay, uh, and and showing that they're kind of warming up to each other a lot more. Gotcha. No, I mean this is where like when people start talking about the romance of Danny and Drogo, yeah. they're talking about these episodes right. because the whole mood of my life and my sun and stars and all that. Sure. It is pretty fucking romantic. <laughs> and, you know, professing to take all of Westeros for her. Right. Well, I guess technically for his kid. Right. Yeah, Not but her. it's for her. Like, in this moment. She wants the throne. He's going to get it for her. But that's the thing. Like, I I remember, like, when I was first watching this, like, man, you need to pump the brakes because it's a it's a short walk from uh, request a nag. And I don't think Drogo is the kind of guy you want to just nag for the throne. Sure. Um, but... You know, it works out like, you know, this threat to her life uh, was the lever she needed to move him off his position of like, ah, fuck Westeros. Yeah, it sure is. But, um, yeah, I, I I, just, I don't know, this is another uh, pretty great scene, I thought. And Yeah, uh, it is. And, and Jorah, you know, afterward explaining kind of how the throne was taken the first time by the Targaryens. They did it with dragons. They don't have any dragons anymore, so... Mm-hmm. Good luck taking the throne. And also Jorah being kind of even skeptical about dragons. I thought that was yeah, a little. an interesting choice. The fact that, like, you know, that's something in the Dan Carlin's latest uh, Hardcore History. He's talking about how, you know, we take as gospel statements from historians in, in, in ancient times, like 2,500 years ago, on statements that they were talking about that happened 300 years before their time. And right. he's like, w- that's bizarre when you think about like you know how much information we have about stuff that happened 100 years ago 200 years ago and how things are hotly contested but yet we tend to when antiquity it's like oh this guy says this thing herodotus so he's got to have it right right because Uh he but he's still three what kind of sources did they have you know, right. and what kind of legends? And so here's Jorah, like, eh, they said they took the land with the uh, dragons, but I don't, I haven't seen a dragon. That could be bullshit. Like, <laughs> I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah, that's fair. And then he sneaks off and finds one of Varys birds who hands him a royal pardon. Mm. Uh, and they call Varys the spider. Have they called him the spider before? Yeah, because Varys was saying, like, oh, no one feels pity for the spider when he was ah, doing right. a sad sack routine with Ned. Right. Okay, we go over to Jorah watching as wine merchants, uh, as a wine merchant tries to give Danny some poisoned wine. Jorah tells him to drink it first, and the guy dumps it, runs off, and he's captured by the Dothraki. Mm-hmm. It's you know a little more extended scene there than just that. Uh, Danny looking happy for like maybe the first time yeah. I've seen her. Yeah, uh, smiling and just sure. enjoying the market. Yeah. This, especially when this her brother's or her asshole brother's dead, her yeah. husband loves her. Maybe she'll get to go her home, now. and she's got free wine. <laughs> I'll take a ca- case of free wine. What's not to smile about? Yeah, uh, I'm I'm confused. Okay, uh, slightly confused. So, where do Jorah's loyalties lie at this point? <laughs> like now that he has his pardon, does he? 
does he feel like he can kind of renege on the end of his deal? I don't know. Because I, as several people, there's some feedback about this, but the crucial thing about Jorah and a spying is he's not spying on Danny initially. He's spying on Viserys. Right? Because he's the one who's the king who okay. wants to be returned, so he's not really, you know, and this, and he's an easy guy to spy on. He's a complete asshole. He's a right. complete dumb fuck. Like, nobody wants to see him on the Iron Throne. Sure. Danny, you like Danny. Danny's attractive. Mm-hmm. Danny is, like, high-minded. She's, you know, like, like, like uh, she's younger, more innocent. Yeah. Um, I think that this is where Jorah starts to feel some conflict. Like, oh, is one thing right. when I was keeping tabs on her idiot brother that the idea that like and maybe it's the the idea that uh, king robert would still come after her like he he, t- he talks later like oh well of course he would come after her, but i wonder if you yeah. really believe that hmm. like okay well now you know the syrian the is gone so i don't there's there's no more threat but i i don't know what do you think like i said i'm i'm kind of confused on his uh his decision here to jump in and stop this i think this is the first instance where he feels some kind of love slash loyalty towards danny yeah i think you're right uh and it probably has to do with that big old smile she's got yeah having a good time now anyway with the induction ceremony at the wall goes on a little bit too long for sam and john's taste and they're talking about what positions they'll get john thinks to be a ranger sam a steward uh, the Lord Commander allows John and Sam to take their vows as followers of the old gods, even though Sam is a very, very recent convert, mm-hmm. as in just this very moment here. Right. Uh, then he assigns the recruits their jobs. John ends up as a steward, and he's angry about it. And then Sam tries to explain that, look, you're just being groomed for better things. Uh, Lord Commander wants you as as his personal steward. That's a good thing. I... Do, does everybody understand this? Does Alistair understand that? That smile on his face when he sees John as a steward, how dumb is Alistair? Well, I because thought... Because Sam snuffs it out. Snuffs I, it. I thought that this, it out. Th- this is more evidence for John being real dumb-dumb because I remember right. even the first time I saw this, like, you can't see what an awesome... Like, yeah, you're at you're, you're, you're essentially going to be the squire to the Lord Commander. Right. I like, wonder what Tywin would think of that, though. You've mm. essentially been a glorified bodyguard <laughs> for the Lord Commander. You're an ass wiper for this old man. Right. I, I also think that uh, Lord Commander Mormont kind of dug himself into a bit of a hole during his little speech where he's like, you know, John's sitting there in the audience. He's like, you came to us as poachers, outlaws, rapists, thieves, without friends or honor. And John Snow's in the background like, <laughs> fuck you, <laughs> right. bastard son of a great, I have tons of honor, lots of friends. Um, and then like he's going to be made a steward, but it also shows that like how quickly John reverted back to type. Like yeah. his bet, he's talking to Pip and Sam who have become stewards, mm-hmm. and he's talking about how shitty being a steward is, and how you're just a bunch of ma- you're just a bunch of maids, and you're just going to dread. I'm like, oh my god, and, and Pip rightly takes offense for it. Yeah, it's like, look, man. The only reason I'm here is because I'm so damn good looking. My voice is like honey, and some lord wanted to fuck me. He wanted to put his finger up my butt, and I said no. Yep. And now I'm here. It's even worse than the wi- the, the wagon wheel of cheese I supposedly, supposedly stole from my sister. Yep. And and then Sam's like, look, I might I might be fat and and not good with girls and and not know how the world works, but even I can see what's going on here. And ah, man, but John is dumb. Yeah, I guess Alistair's just as dumb, though, because that I smile think on his face. I think Alistair sees the look on his face and smile. I think 
because I, I wondered that too, and I think there's two things going on. Number one, he's doing it to piss off John, and he's sure. also seeing John's look on his face, and he's having a private smile at, oh God, this you know Lord Snow is as bad as dumb as I thought he was. Okay. All right. He's having a private joke that that the fact that then it makes John matter probably makes him is even funnier. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like you're just watching a guy hang himself with his own rope. So, I, I would say that in most cases, stealing, rape, murder, those things are probably all selfish acts, wouldn't you say? Wouldn't okay. you agree? I thought you were going to say wrong. I'm like, I would like to hear your defense of when... <laughs> I, I, when also think, I also think they're wrong. Okay. Um, but... <laughs> In most cases. Uh Uh-huh, in most cases. Uh, But they're also, like, selfish acts in most cases. Sure. So you're entrusting the protection of the realm to a bunch of selfish people Mm. who I don't have, it seems to me, a lot of incentive to stay here and protect this wall because they've already committed crimes that are punishable by death. Right. And the punishment for desertion is death. Right. They're used to that, man. Yeah, that's right. Like, they can run off and just be dice. like, well, sure. I was dead before. I'm yeah. dead now. What's the difference? Yeah. This is like, you know, Bon Jovi wrote a song about that, right? <laughs> is it They're the cowboys on real horses they ride. I guess. Uh, yeah. Not Benjin. Benjin doesn't ride a horse anymore. Ben Jovi. Uh, but I don't know. I guess I don't particularly think that this defense of the wall is all that tenable well and like that's, this idea the basic concept of it I, I, so that's that's a trope right the fact that you've got you know the dirty dozen and they're kind of a bunch of ne'er-do-wells or the expendables sure. but they come together and right. like they're more than some of their parts and you got a guy like lord commander mormon up there that's saying all the words and like they start to it's a trick you know you deprive men of enough uh, 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 it's the way you know standard military indoctrination works you you, you throw right. them together yeah, you dress them all the same, you feed them all the same shitty food, you give them all the same bad experiences, they band together, and they're not loyal to anybody but themselves, but that's kind of what you need. Mm-hmm. Um, I, You know, and I think that also Lord Commander Mormon's putting a brave face on it. Like, he knows how decrepit the watch is. Him and Master Eamon just made a pretty heartfelt plea to Tyrion. Like, can you get us some good men? We need some good men. We don't have enough to hold anything. Right. So, the, the difference here between, like, you know, training a bunch of people for the military and training a bunch of people for the watch is yeah. they aren't all rapists, thieves, and murderers who it. are already under penalty of death. But you like, wonder, like, what if King Robert took the black and he's the Lord Commander? He's like, y'all a bunch of shits. <laughs> I should have spent more time teaching you how to do anything but be right. shits. But, you know, it's like a guy like Mormont can actually make people believe that maybe, maybe, maybe so. they're more than the primordial shit from which they came. Okay. But yet, you, your point's well taken. The Night's Watch is... <laughs> Uh, I wonder if it'll become a plot point. I don't know. The fact that the Night's Watch is a bunch of criminals and ne'er-do-wells. <laughs> Maybe. Uh, so we go to Renly, who stops Ned in the halls to warn him that... Are we just not going to comment on Sam wanting to be a wizard? Sam wants to be a wizard? Like, Sam, Sam is like... There's a reason he's beloved amongst the fandom. Like, he's essentially... Oh, right, he says that. Yeah, he's... When I was young, I wanted to be... Right. Yeah, okay. he's essentially the outcast kind of loser nerd that the, the, you know, the fantasy book readers and D&D players... Like, he's their Mary Sue, right? And he's sure. essentially saying it right here. Like, I, yeah. you know... Uh, I, that's, I, I love Sam. Yeah, I do, too. He's a great character, and I he seems to have a good head on his shoulders, too. He understands things that are happening. Sure. As opposed to some people who would fly off the handle. Right. I think Sam <laughs> Sam is how I would be at the wall. Okay. <laughs> I'd miss girls. I'd, right. I'd miss my square meals and not getting beat for no goddamn reason. <laughs> 
Those, yeah. Except maybe with the ability to swing a sword. Yeah. Sam's pretty pathetic in the combat department. <laughs> sure. So we go over to Renly, stopping Ned in the halls to warn him that Robert's decree won't stand when Cersei gets a hold of it. Uh, he urges him to strike now by getting Joffrey away from his mother. Renly, Renly claims, hey, I'd be a better king than Stannis, but... Ned refuses to dishonor Robert with any shenanigans, and and also he thinks Stannis has the rightful claim on the throne, so he goes with that. And here's where like Rinley's no prize either, because he was. Do- I think he might have been able to convince Ned until he was like, "But I could, I could, I, I could be just as good. I could be a better king." Like, yeah. oh god, he should have let that conclusion come about naturally. I think. Yes. Uh, let something other than Joffrey happen. Right. And then parlay that into something else in the future. Like, okay, okay, we need to, absolutely, we need to bring Stannis in on this, but right now we need to do this. Right. And then just keep to the, and and, and then, who knows what happens, but yeah. by playing the I could be a better king card, that just instantly turned Ned against you. And he actually, it turns out, uh, as we hear later, kind of had Littlefinger on his side. I, I don't think Rinley knew this, but Littlefinger, like if Joffrey didn't work out or whatever, uh, was willing to put Rinley sure, on the throne. Sure. So I think if he had just been a little more patient and not been like, I'd be a good king. Right. He might have had a chance at it. Yeah, well, you know, we... It's a three-dimensional world, and, yeah. you know, Rinley would... would uh, If he could step forward and be the perfect king, it would be a little too perfect. Yeah, I agree. Uh, instead of making Rinley king, Ned writes a letter to Stannis and sends it off with a messenger... Uh, Littlefinger comes in and Ned tells him Robert has no children, so Stannis will be the king when Robert dies. Littlefinger urges him to make Joffrey king, wed Sansa to him, and then, you know, be an uh, be an awesome dude for the rest of his life. Are, uh, and if the secret ever comes out, then he can make Renly the king. But Ned refuses because Stannis is the rightful heir, and he petitions Littlefinger for the gold cloak's help. And and Littlefinger's like, oh sure, I'm the one who pays them. He doesn't really promise to help here. So much as say I pay. Them. Uh, yeah, they're personally loyal to me. Yeah, and also you just talked a whole bunch of shit and rejected all my counsel, but still want to use me yeah. for what you think is an unsavory thing. You want me to buy off the city's protection, and what I think is a bad plan. Right. So why would I do the honorable thing when? Uh, yeah, I mean this oh, so clearly Ned making all these unforced errors. Yeah. Um, and I thought that like when Littlefinger, what he laid out was like, that's a pretty fairly cunning plan. Mm -hmm. Like there, this is airtight. You've got multiple exits. You got multiple ways to steer the thing. Like I, right. Uh, that, that would be, that would be interesting. It's why despite Littlefinger being a shit and betraying some of the characters that I also like, Mm -hmm. I still really like Littlefinger. It's because he gets it. He understands how to play the game of Thrones and that's kind of what I'm watching the show for. Right. I don't necessarily want to watch it just to see the good guys be honorable. Right. Yeah. No, I, I, th- again, this scene uh, is, is just really good. Yeah. And I, you, you is like, like, like Tywin, you got to respect Littlefinger because he does mm-hmm. know he's a good operator. Yep. Anything else on that? Should we? I don't. I felt like there was, but I, I can't think of it. So maybe we should move on. Okay. John and Sam take the vows at a where weirwood tree. That's crying blood. Is that normal for weirwood trees? Yeah, that they seems... got like the reddish sap. Okay. Now leaking you know, from pres- the eyes. Presumably, this face has been carved uh, a quite a long time ago. Why it's still bleeding sap? But you know. Okay. It's uh, it's it's canon. Uh, John's direwolf ghost pulls an arm out of the woods. That's not great. Uh-uh. Benjamin's arm, you think? Could Sit. be. 
Is it the arm? One of those arms that we saw in the first episode. John Ben Jovi. Arranged. Is he back from being <laughs> wanted? Days. The results come back. You're you're wanted dead. Uh, yeah, I uh, I don't know. We'll have to see. Okay. Uh, I, I liked the ghost like bounding out of the wall. That was really cool. And like yeah. Just even Sam, like John, having to help him to his feet, but then they just had this sincere like bro hug, and like then all uh-huh. the and and the, the rest of the Night's Watch guys, like these grizzled people, and they're probably rapists and horse even they're like, duh, and then they do bro hug. And yeah, then, it's it's a moment of celebration. Yes. for these guys, like this is they're embarking on a lifelong new journey here. Yep, it's an important thing they've done and one to be celebrated. So and then suddenly, do it. corpse meat. Yeah. Because it is Game of Thrones, after all. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, we go over to Jorah describing to Danny how the Dothraki kill people. Uh, he also tells her that Robert will never stop trying to kill her, but um, that he he won't succeed. He's not going to let him, right. essentially. Uh, Drogo comes in, having heard what happened, and thanks Jorah for saving her by giving him a horse. He also pledges a gift to his unborn son, all of Westeros. Mm-hmm. Just He's going to give everything to him. Yep. They ride out of the city with the, the assassin in and I, I like how awesome this scene is because he's like, I will take my Kalasar west and cross the Poison Sea. And I'm like, yeah, Drogo, go. I will kill them in the, yeah, they fucking need to deserve a tear down their stored houses. Yes, uh-huh. do that, Drogo. I will rape their, wi- whoa. <laughs> Danny's like, what? Uh, whoa, oh. Hoss. Whoa, it's right. come back. I will I take can... their children as slaves. <laughs> Not what? I, you know, this was a badass scene <laughs> and now you're ruining it. Yeah. I, I couldn't help but notice that when I was watching it. That This is the perfect, like, key and peel skit right here like yes. you, you get key playing drogo i, he, I actually kind of think they've, him up a little, I but... think they've done a send-up of this oh have they yeah. probably so yeah but yeah that, that struck me too because <laughs> yeah it's so like this is what you want and the music and all that and yeah. like and then oh wait oh, oh it's gone I too far I don't, I don't, yeah yeah uh also i'm wondering like so he says you can have any horse take your pick mm-hmm can, can he have Drogo's son, the stallion who mounts the world? You said any horse, man. You said any horse. Well, I wonder what happened if he asked for Drogo's personal horse. Right. He said any horse. Right. Right. What about what about uh, Danny's horse Dead that he gave her her at, silver yeah. for the wedding? Yeah. Uh, I don't know. It'd be interesting because uh, <laughs> he made the stereotypical like you know, that's a lot in the Bible mm-hmm. where like someone will be so impressed like oh you can you can ask for anything up to half of the kingdom like right. That's and always they ask for someone's sensible. head, and yeah, then, it's like, oh fuck, is my friend's head? Or, yeah, oh, it's like Jesus' friend. It's my really... daughter. She's the first one out of the tent. I really it's, fucked this up. Yeah, it's not good now. She's got to serve as a temple slave. What did I do? <laughs> right. But but at least they put a limit on it. Drogo's like, yeah. any horse. But it's just a horse. I That's mean, true. He can get a better horse. He can get more horses. But Plus, I, I, I think Dro- I don't think the Dothraki are the type to respect logic puzzles. No, like of course I meant not my horse, right? And if you press the point, he'd just kill you. Like, well, I <laughs> thought you were cool, and you're an asshole now, Jora. Right? <laughs> I'm gonna drag you behind my horse. Let's see how long, many miles you make. Yep, this is a really cool scene, though. I, I do like it. Mm-hmm. Uh, we go over to Ned. In the oh, final we're not going to talk about. Uh, you know, we had some ex- a sex position. Mm-hmm. Bounce it out with some wine merchant dick. Oh right, yeah. They uh, they stripped him down. Yep. Tied him to a horse and made him walk. Yep. Yep. How and far I, that's you the think thing, he like, gets? Uh, I thought being drugged by on a horse is pretty horrifying, and then I remembered, oh shit, this guy's naked. Because like mm. you might make it nine miles, but your dick ain't. No. That thing is going to catch roll over on, on your a twig back. or a rock, yeah. and I, you know, that's like, no. Uh, you yeah. got to you got to drag on your back. All those opinions, like your nipples, they're they're first to go. Yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, I don't know. And I just think human beings aren't balanced for being on their back. Like, it's like you're always going to fight the the writing action. <laughs> Guess of, so. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I'm you sure should... Mythbusters has done yes. this. Let's see. Let's drag Buster behind and see yeah. whether he stays on his ass or he bounces on his dick. <laughs> and whether he has a, a dick at the end. It's made of metal, though, so... <laughs> It's, no, they would do it's a cheat. A, they would they pig. would get ballistic yeah. gel and and <laughs> some 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 tubing and you know right. It would be a fully functional ballistics gel penis before they were done with it. All right, let's move on to the final scene. Ned is informed of Joffrey's wait, not Joffrey's death, Robert's death. Yes, and uh, Joffrey's presence or Ned's presence in the throne room is requested. Littlefinger says the city watches Ned's, and Varys says Rinley took off. He's gone, long gone. And when Ned gets to the throne room, he sees Joffrey on the throne and Cersei by his side. He tries to reveal this decree from Robert saying he's the Lord Regent. Uh, But Cersei dismisses it. She just tears his his paper shield in half. When Ned calls on the city watch to back him up, they kill Ned's men, and Littlefinger takes him prisoner. It's a real betrayal here. Real exciting moment, too. Poor Barristan. He... Like I yeah, yeah he's I remember stuck in the middle of it. I remember thinking like man this might be like a cool battle because you got these Kingsguard as a wall and Barristan he's like he's all conflicted about what he should do his loyalty to the past king versus and and he's not impressed yeah. with Cersei or and and then nope it's just comes down to once again Northman taking it up the rear uh, yeah and yeah taking it in the south yep. yep uh yeah but it's a great scene to watch I I do. You know, as much as I hate to see Ned betrayed, yeah. it, it feels right. At the end and like, of this like Littlefinger said, I did tell you yeah. not to trust me, man. He straight up said that. Right. right. And Ned did. So, uh, And all the warning, flashing red signs that he drove past in this episode on his way to his own his his own betrayal. Like, he just... I love the look on Joffrey's face when he whips out that decree. Right. Joffrey can't believe what's happening. He's like, I this was my moment. Yeah, I'm I'm on the throne. Can you people not see this? And now it's all going to be taken away. Yes, for like two years until I come of age. Yeah, can you imagine like a guy like Joffrey who's a shit and he probably doesn't know much about anything, and he's like his mom's propped him up and said, "Hey, you're gonna be, you're you're gonna be king now. You're gonna," and he's doing all this and, and Ned whips out this letter and says, "No, nah, you're not even you're not even a rightful uh, that that's got to be." Yeah, it's insulting. It's humiliating. It's and it, to disheartening. His, to his eyes, it looks like just a blatant cowardly trick. Sure, right? I, I mean, Ned wrote oh, the you, fucking letter. Yeah, and and he also <laughs> played fast and loose with the contents thereof. He did. So, yeah, it it looks all sorts of bad coming from Ned. That's I, the thing. Like Ned, still like it'd be interesting if he. Went to this end completely on the straight and narrow, mm-hmm. but he bought off the gold cloaks. He changed Robert's words. Now, you know, it, it's like it seems like he really got caught in this. Like, I've got to do something to uphold my friend's wishes and what he would want if he knew everything. But I don't want to make a messy situation for. He just mm-hmm. tried to pl- make square. You know, he tried to round off the square of his honor and his principles, and wasn't true to any of them. And now look what happened to you. Yeah. It is pretty clear to me who's actually in control here. I mean, if you look at Joffrey and you look at Cersei, Cersei's expression never changes. Right. She knows exactly what's going down here. Uh, she's the one pulling the strings, and Joffrey's just following her At this point, I know for a fact Cersei knows what's going to happen here. Yeah. yeah. Like, she's... 
I mean, the way she looks at Janos, that she like basically gives him the nod and says, yeah. "Do this thing." Uh, and when and, and when he she rips up the the hand, you know that's that was a pivotal yeah. because I I thought again I was naive enough to think well he's got the paper uh-huh. like that's going to carry the day. Everybody's like, "Oh shit, it's the king's words." Like why? And it's so funny because Game of Thrones will devote five minutes to a scene to give the hero a weapon that just breaks. Yeah, instantly when he tries to use it, and it's. Uh, you know, you're not used to its ways. It's a shock. It's a shock. Indeed. Uh, okay. How's, how how do we get out of this situation? We will we will have to see. Yeah, I guess so. It, it ends with a knife to Ned's throat. So mm. we'll see. Uh, that's it for the end. Of, uh, that's it for the episode. Hey, we're getting closer to the Rocket City NerdCon. Uh, if, if you don't know what that's that is, uh, it is a big bash going on in uh, Huntsville, Alabama, October twenty second, twenty third this year. Uh, you can get full details if you go to rocketcitynerdcon.org. And Jim and I are going to be headlining an event. We're going to be doing a lot of uh, hosting a lot of panels. We're going to be playing some fun games. We're going to uh, play a version of like the old werewolf slash mafia game where uh, you know a table full of Starks tries to suss out who's the fray trying to kill him in between rounds. We're going to play that in front of an audience. There's going to be some uh, prizes awarded. Uh, we got other other panels and events coming up too. Uh, we're going to have uh, a booth. Uh, you can come and, and, and shake her hand or give us high fives uh, or other – try to keep it – you know, it's a PG-13 thir- PG, PG conference. Try to try to keep it clean. Uh, we're bringing our giant Matt Damon. You can, you can, right. you can be, you know, take a picture in front of the, the eighth wonder of the world, the giant Matt Damon face. Uh-huh. Uh, we'll have some merch that you can buy. Uh, we'll sign autographs. We'll play. We'll flip quarters and for small stakes. Who knows? Who knows what'll happen? Uh, but it's all going down at in Huntsville, Alabama. RocketCityNerdCon.org. You can get passes for the whole weekend for twenty five bucks or fifteen bucks for the day. Uh, again, October twenty second, twenty third. Hope to see you there. Now you might be asking yourself, how did Jim and Aaron do it? They just just sit around and watch television and podcast about it all day. Uh, yeah, that's pretty much how it works around here, and we're fortunate enough to be able to do that because of the generosity of our friend of our fans. And a way, a primary way they they uh, display that generosity is by signing up for our club at club.baldmove.com. Uh, you get you, you sign up uh, for either two bucks a month or twelve dollars for the year. You get tons of uh, of of bonus content. We have video shows accompanying most of our podcasts. We have. Lunch with Jim and Aaron and On the Rocks with Jim and Aaron, where we talk about whatever you want to talk about. You can sign in live and ask us questions either through Twitter or to Google Hangout and, and interact with us. Uh, we've got VIP sections of the forums, ad-free feeds, combined feeds where you can get all of our shows in one feed, ad-free, uh, all the kinds of stuff. We do video game playthroughs. We do this thing called Quit Your Pitching where we pitch ridiculous television ideas to each other. Um, all kinds of stuff. You can get the skinny at club.baldmove.com. And most importantly, it keeps us doing what we're doing because we, I'm not going to lie. We'd probably podcast without having the, cause we did before for several years. We had full-time jobs. We did the podcast and wouldn't podcast as much. You not nearly. You wouldn't get three podcasts a week for game of Thrones for damn sure. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't get a Mr. Robot. If that, um, other thing, uh, this is not an ad so much as a, hey, this is something we're doing now. You're doing a new podcast. Yeah, Halt and Catch Fire with Eric. Do a solo project. Arrogance fame. Or you start no. a new band. It's a side project, not a solo right. project. Yeah, it's not, not solo. Me and Eric are uh, 
we're starting in on season three of Halt and Catch Fire. We just did a preview cast uh, for this season, and it starts up tonight. I think the episode airs. I was so going to say, have we'll, you we'll seen it yet? Because I, I saw no. Seppenwall's advanced review, and he's talking it up really. Like, okay. like I, I heard season two is, was uh, was a quant, you know a, a quantum leap over season one, and he's saying stuff like yeah. all the minor problems they fixed in season three. So like that's hmm. high praise. Yeah, I'm excited for it. So we'll be releasing those on Thursdays, I think. Uh, so check those out if you watch that show. New product. Yep. Do we have some feedback to do? We do. We do, in fact. Uh, Game of Thrones at baldmove.com is how you send us the feedback. Or you can discuss it with your fellow fans at forums.baldmove.com. Uh, first up, uh, this is kind of like supersized mailbag because we've essentially gone two weeks without without dipping into it since we recorded the previous episode in advance. Uh, Tristan R. says, You've elaborated quite a bit on the passage of time in the show, yet have never heard a discussion on the exact construction of the calendar in this universe. In our world, the calendar is designed to follow the passing seasons and reset after one complete cycle or year. In the Game of Thrones universe, the seasons last many years, and the characters mention their name days. Not being a book reader, I'm ignorant of whether Germ mentioned this minor yet crucial detail. Is one year in the showtime 365.25 days? Um, I did a shit ton of research into this. Like, like hmm. I, I fell into a 45-minute discussion of solar cycles and lunar cycles and how many oh, lunar... God. And why it take you know, like the different discrepancy between it takes like 27 and a half days for the moon to orbit earth, but the actual lunar cycle is 29.5 days because while the moon spin around the earth, the earth of course is spin around the sun and the cycle is all about the shadow of the, 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 the moon and how, it sh- and it's like, it's fucking ridiculously complicated. But one thing I fa- found out right away is that the seasons do not a calendar make. Mm-hmm. A calendar is exactly how long it takes the Earth to revolve around the sun. Now, it just so happens because of the Earth's tilt that, that you know the winter and spring and summer and all that stuff coincide. But that's what Martin said. And, and I found a so spake Martin. If you don't know what I'm talking about, there's this uh, archive at thecitadel.org, which is this big, massive compendium of Game of Thrones lore. Uh, and they keep like every correspondence or convention speech or whatever that George Martin's ever given for like the last 20 years. Jesus. And it's called the so spake Martin archives. And he says, uh, in, in a direct answer to a question, what is the cycle of a year? Why do they count years when the seasons are so strange? Martin said, 12 moon turns are in a year, just as on earth, even on our earth years have nothing to do with the seasons or with the cycles of the moon the years, simply a measure of the solar cycle or how long it takes the earth to make one complete revolution around the sun. The same is true for the world of Westeros. Seasons do not factor into it. So there okay. you go. Sure. Uh, he's also promised, because in part of my research, that I guess he's made comments in the past of that the reasons the seasons are weird and not tied to the orbit of the sun will be made clear before the end of the series. But okay. it's going, It's not. he says it's not going to have a cosmological or science fiction. It's going to be a magical uh, answer. Hmm. So. Okay. We might get some answers, and of course he could change his mind at any time, and whether the show reflects that, who knows, but there you go. Uh, good question, though. Jeff M., regarding the discussion of in the spoiler-free section on currency and its value, specifically in the show so far, currency, in volume more than Theon's next tumble since, has been mentioned three times. One was a debt conversation in the first small council meeting. That instance as a national debt of a country is a more abstract concept, so it doesn't set the value very much. 
However, in the context of the Royal Tournament for Ned's appointment as hand, the tournament itself would have been awarded 40,000 gold dragons to the winner and 20,000 to the runner-up. Whoa! So that 100 gold bet is nothing. In the context of that, a bet for 100 gold dragons by a presumably rich noble is tiny. (laughs) Okay. Uh, I'll bet you a quarter that uh, Ned Stark... Gets out of this. How about that? <laughs> right. Okay. Oh, I don't know. I think, <laughs> Let me think about it. Yeah, I'll, I'll raise you two. And quarters. then you'll reveal my deepest, darkest secret when you lose the fucking bet. That's insane. <laughs> uh, so Jeff had some interesting analysis of this. He says, "I think the point of the dialogue was to foreshadow the open secret nature that Rinley's betting of Loras represented, and how it affects Rinley's qualifications to start a dynasty as king." Okay. So. I think he might be right there that the small stakes reflects Littlefinger's kind of like everybody knows you're gay man. Right. Oh look, I've just revealed it. Right, right. So Sure. Okay. Um, I thought that's pretty pretty right on and interesting. Yeah. Similar to Cersei's. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, pretty, pretty open. She's very open with it this episode. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe disastrously so. Uh, Lily Stark said, I also just want to say after watching the Cal Drogo scene, which gives me chills every damn time, that's a fucking crime that Jason uh, Moma, Momoa was never a vocalist of a metal band. <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Like, especially a Dothraki metal band. Sure. Did they ever make a, the uh, Metalocalypse, the movie? Yeah. Realize, they cast him as whatever. What is the fucking... God damn it. I watched the shit out of that show like two years ago and someone commissioned it and I've forgotten all about I remember. it. remember. Death, death clock. Is There's that the murder face. One? I know he's got. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Anyway, uh, <laughs> not going to make a joke that I, I can't actually articulate. Uh, also, only because I came up again, I can't help but chime in here. Kit Harrington did have a sort of slack jawed thing going that I kind of <laughs> noticed once you guys mentioned it. But what stood out to me most was the open mouth thing Sean Bean does constantly. Oh, really? I'm not criticizing him. I'm not going to get crucified, and I honestly thought his acting is fantastic. Mm-hmm. But anytime he's not delivering lines, the guy's mouth is open. <laughs> Maybe not slack-jawed, <laughs> because that implies relaxed. It's more tense. Hmm. Uh, jaw like an anvil, as Littlefinger says later on. So maybe it's a deliberate choice. I'm just saying a bug could fly in there. <laughs> you know what's weird is ever since this came up, I've become conscious of how often my mouth hangs open. Mm. Yeah, you got to keep that shit shut, or people think you're dumb. Well... Uh, so I might be a bit of a slack jaw yokel. I did come from the hills of Southern Indiana. Uh, do you, so here's the thing. And I've never asked another human being this. I'm going to ask you as a representative. Sure. I speak for all human beings. Do you, when you're just sitting in a resting state, are your teeth touching or do they kind of float separated a bit? I think they're separated a bit. Okay, because I never, I just realized, like, I never, like, and I'm not talking about gritting your teeth, but, like, when my mouth is closed, my teeth are actually separated quite a bit. I find it uncomfortable to, like, hold them together like this. Yeah, I wouldn't, especially when you're talking, I wouldn't hold your teeth together. I wouldn't do that, too. So, like, I don't know, but I've become aware that, like, a lot of times when I'm... Listen, especially when I'm listening to someone talk, my mouth is sitting there, like, like, not like a a gape, (laughs) but, like, open. I don't know. Huh. I don't yeah, know. I I honestly can't tell you because I. Now that you've said something, I can't like. Do you re- just do you, observe do you think myself? Of me, like having? Do you think of me no. standing around my mouth? Okay. No. All right. Well, there I you don't. go. You've known me longer than probably anyone at this point. So. Okay. Uh, Adam H. This week's episode, you guys mentioned that Jason Momoa had his breakout role in Game of Thrones, and you guys hope he'll go on to do Aquaman permanently. What most people forget is that Momoa 
actually was a series regular on Stargate Atlantis, where he played as that series' main badass. Like I said, had a breakout hit in Game of Thrones. <laughs> Shots fired on Siffy. Yeah. Siffy can't catch a break. Nope. Uh, had it not been for Atlantis, I would not believe that he had gotten uh, uh, gotten on Game of Thrones with such force as his character in Atlantis honed his ability to play the strong warrior type. Mm. Everyone's forgotten he did that, and I think it's a new he's a newcomer to TV from Game of Thrones, which is false. Now, so that's a good question. Like, Katie Sackhoff? Sackhoff. Yeah. Mm. Um, would you say that Battlestar was a breakout role? Because yeah. to me... That implies that you then went on to set the world on fire, right? If yeah. you if you which she's done a, almost if you get nothing. a major role in a minor show, and mm-hmm. I don't want the Battlestar fans to come at me. I'm just saying, like in the pantheon of television and critical acclaim and all that, like Battlestar, sure. certainly important for the you know the fantasy sci fi types, but yeah. larger culture, I wouldn't say it's breakout. I wouldn't say that's her breakout role. I would say that she. Attempted to break out and rebounded, and the little shuttle thing couldn't catch her, and she went off bounds and it, <laughs> it, 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 it and drifted into the sun. Right, because I haven't seen her in much of anything right. since then. Same, now, I, same I with think Jason. she's in Logmire, Longmire. Right, but she is. there again, I wouldn't call that a breakout role because no. that's very kind of a small level hit. She, you know, like if she went then played like Power Girl, I think is the. Power Girl? Isn't that's the DC character who's like Superman or Supergirl, except she's got the massive tit window going in her costume. Tit window? Yeah. I have never heard of this. Okay. Uh if she if she went on to play like Power Girl to some of fame, then I would say that okay, you could look back and say that, you know, Longmire or Battlestar's a breakout role, but mm-hmm. I don't know. Um Yeah, but the same is true of, of Jason Momoa. He's like he did Conan, and then I've kind of seen him in nothing. He's doing Aquaman now. Maybe that'll be big for him. Yeah, like him, if Aquaman but... hadn't come around, I wouldn't say that even Game of Thrones is his breakout role. Right. Uh, I would say that was like a one or two hit wonder for him. But the dude is just so charismatic. Right. It, it's like, uh, like, what's his name? Chris Chris what from Parks and Rec. Like his breakout role was Parks and Rec. Oh, yeah. Right. Like Chris... he became a star from Parks and Rec, Many... and then he is just blown up. Every yeah, like he's now this mega mega Harrison like pro right. Harrison Ford type action hero comed- star. Yeah, just just a generic like cross the board star. He can do it all. I just feel like some of these guys are born in the wrong era. Like The Rock. Imagine if he like was a major movie maker in the eighties. Oh man, or like Jason oh, here. Yeah. These guys would have like been ruling. Like they you you talk about him the same breath as Arnold or Stallone and they just yeah that kind of shit's become passe I find I I weep for it I love that stuff man (laughs) right I grew up when the 80s action heroes were were in their primacy so Mm -hmm. anyway Aquaman I I I hope it works out for you man yeah uh Adam continues um let's talk about King Robert we talk about Robert plunging the throne into massive debt whoring like a horny horny teenager He's always goading Jamie Lannister, etc. Now, the last part is actually part of a bigger problem. Robert pardoned a whole buttload of people who had been Targaryen loyalists. Not only did he pardon them, but he also left them in positions that he found them in. Like Randall Tarly, who actually was smart enough to be capable of defeating him in battle. Leaving the Kingsguard basically intact, only replacing members who had died. He even kept Kings, the Kingsguard, who had slayed Eris, right at his side. Even leaving houses in power that sided against him, like House Tyrell. 
One could assume that he left them in their positions to maintain stability throughout the realm. However, there were many, both historically and in Game of Thrones, where the victors or powers that be put someone in charge of a region that was loyal to the crown. By leaving them in place, Robert surrounded himself with potential enemies should any Targaryen rally enough support in the east to come over to Westeros. It leaves one to wonder, was he just too lazy to replace them? If not, then he just didn't care. Why leave potential traitors in charge instead of securing them? The Lannisters certainly had enough cousins to put people over every house. Uh, so, n- not reading the books, Jim, what's your analysis of, of this position? That sounds pretty fair to me, like that criticism. Right. I don't, like, if I, I don't know. I mean, what what is, what happens when CEOs come into a company and kind of take over um, against everybody's wishes and then as a director level person who was who did not survive a company merger it does seem like there's the purge of the old guard right like that there's a lot natural. of talk of oh we'll find the best fit and everybody but essentially right. these are my guys these are the assholes we bought out and yeah you guys are showing the door i would that seems natural to me yeah um, I will say that from the books it's it's essentially all these decisions are John Aaron's uh, he counseled leniency and returning the realm's stability and returning it to the king's peace over <laughs> settling all these scores and I, you know that's a very real politic kind of thing like this is the same reason why you know the United States gets in this trap of like arming people that then we fight right. yeah. against 30 years it's always like well would rather not have bloodshed now or let others do our fighting and then it seems like you kick the can down the road and the can gets bigger and badder. But mm-hmm. I, I, I don't know. Like we talked about in the start of the podcast, it's entirely possible that if he didn't do that, then the realm never would have recovered from its bloodshed and turmoil and they would yeah. be you know, the the Westeros instead of having twenty good years would have been a real shit show. Um I don't know. Yeah. Um I I I think it's a little more weird that he keeps a lot of the Kingsguard and stuff. Like, the people who are immediately surrounding him, uh, I think that's a little more strange such than letting some deal. lords kind of rule their lands. Like, like if you if you, if you I, embrace I Tywin, cases, yeah. then what, you, you're, going to, you're going to exile Jaime and piss him off? You're going to refuse to marry his daughter and piss him off? Like, he's your most important right. ally at this point. Right. Uh, and also, because um, that's their thing, is like, you ask, like, what Robert... I don't think Robert wanted a lot. Mm-hmm. Robert wanted to kill and drink and fuck. And yeah. he had Ned on one side saying... kill Targaryens. And he had Ned on one side saying, hey, we should at least exile Jay. We should at least strip him of his white cloak. And he had John Iron saying, well, that'll piss Tywin off. And he had Robert saying, well, I like Tywin because he came in and killed a bunch of Targaryens. And, you know, I... What Robert I, I, that saying what he wanted to do as far as statescraft is so weird to me because yeah. like seems the only thing he was really passionate about was was killing Targaryens mm-hmm. because in his mind they kidnapped and raped his his beloved betrothed right so I don't know I don't know if that helps any but that's that's my view. Uh, Gwyn says, Aaron, every time you've mentioned the match between Loras and the mountain, you talk about the mountain's horse being in heat or some variant thereof. Mm. In the books, and I think in the show, Loras intentionally rides his mare who is in heat in the tourney, knowing right. Gregor Stallion will lose his dick or rather his head over it. Um, yeah, I, if I said that, it's because <laughs> I have some kind of weird verbal dyslexia because I knew that, but I just fucked it up. So, right. Um, Bonus question. I cannot stand Roy Dotry's narration of A Song of Ice and Fire. His voice in general irritates me, and listening to him talk sex scenes makes my skin uh, crawl. 
I cannot yeah. for the life of me tell if y'all's nods to him are sarcastic or just people being into different shit. I think it's people being into different shit. I do like his reads of it. Uh, what I, uh, I'm with you, though. I can't stand him reading a sex scene. I would love to And it's to not see... just because he's reading it, but how it's written, too. I was going to say, like, could you get Antonio Banteras <laughs> oh, in here God. and have him read that and everybody be like, oh, yeah, mirror swamp, fat dude mass. I got, like, oh, I'm getting hot over I just think yeah. that that shit is really poorly written. Yeah, it's baked into the the material. I don't think Dotrice could have fixed that. But here's the thing, like, and I, don't, you know, uh, Audible's not sponsoring this particular week. Um, I do do like their service, but I, my confession is, I've never liked audiobooks. Hmm. Okay, I don't like being read to. I always find that their pacing is off, or they don't like. Hmm. I remember, um, like. There's a rare exceptions. Like I think the guy who does, I think it's Richard Tull who does the Patrick O'Brien series, um, is like okay, he was put on Earth to read these books to me. Um, but like I really hated the Harry Potter ones, especially the guy. Like there's this particular guy who just his Hermione is like, oh Harry, oh Ron, Harry, Harry, and I'm like, oh, fucking Christ, how can you? That's that's your first only and last take of that, um, Roy. He's a little slow for my taste, but the thing about the Audible is, like, you can speed up. That that has solved almost all my problems with the book narrations. Like, yeah, you know, like, I start out, like, 1.25x, and, like, he's really getting, like, he's reading Game of Thrones the way you need to read Game of Thrones. Hmm. So that's why I like Audible and not, like, books on tape or books on CD, because I can control all that. Right. Again, I'm not getting paid for saying this. This is a genuine plug for service I use, and it's, like, instrumental for me. Like, I read three of the Game of Thrones books... In the off season once, which I guess that's is that super impressive. I think so. They're big books. I think it was even more. It's something like because me and Mad Brew like went. We I think we start on season two, or no, something I can't remember. But there's like I, I only had like a like a very short off season to to do it because of the way we did the beginning of the podcast. Mm-hmm. And the only way I was able to do that was using Audible service. And this was before they even sponsored us, and that's when I figured out the trick of speeding him up so i i like him plus you know like he was in the show um in the future season i think that's cool and yeah. he's just always been martin's guy so i it, it's it's in, you know no accounting for taste uh word of caution to people who only listen to the audiobooks though is he says some words with a very british accent mm. and they're not at all written how they sound and if you're american you wouldn't pronounce them that way yeah and when you have discussions with other people who've read the books, right. and you say Dawn instead of Dorn, yeah. they're going to look at you like, what the fuck, yeah. man? He also, uh, there's controversy, because I guess he pronounces some names and places, yeah. quote-unquote, wrong, yeah. whatever that means. And sure. I'm the last guy to pillory a person for that. <laughs> anyway, that's a whole bunch of bullshit no one cares about. Uh, Cherie from the UK just wanted to point out that Loris Tyrell is actually Rinley's squire, so it would make sense to the outside perspectives that okay. the relationship is intimate, so to speak. It's actually Loris's job to service Rinley. Har har. Mm. Uh, I forgot that detail, and I, at first I'm like, that's bullshit, and I looked it up, and sure enough, it's well attested to that uh, he's at least a, his former squire at, the, uh, so at this is, point. Is John going to be shaving Gior's chest? Oh, yeah. Armpits? Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. That I man... mean, the lice up at the wall, if you're not dolphin smooth, right. you're not really playing the game. I and wonder how don't... he got the reputation as the bear then. <laughs> <laughs> I 
Did his squire <laughs> die like years ago or something? This, this, this steward. The, he can go from bear to fully sprouted in a fortnight. Like okay, that's the yeah. that's the thing. It's from like, bear to bear. Yeah, it's yeah yeah. It's his barrel cycle is just so rapid. <laughs> Has nothing to do with the seasons or the solar. It's just him being all man. Uh, okay, that's all we got for the non-spoiler uh, feedback. Again, Game of Thrones at baldmove.com or forums at baldmove.com if you'd like to submit some feedback, and then we will get into the spoiler section. This is where you need to yep. get out if you've not listened past or watched past this episode. You got like 10 seconds of music to do that. So yep. if you're out on spoilers, check out now. Uh, if you're in on spoilers, listen to the music, and we'll be back. Until next week, I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. See you. And we're back with the spoiler section. What what's going on? I've got one thing that I want to talk about. Um, just the pathos of Jamie Lannister because we talked about how Tywin is doing this like carrot stick approach, and he's like, "Become right. the man you're always meant to be." We know that he rides off, meets the young wolf, and is captured very early on in the campaign. Mm-hmm. And you got and and that's the state we find him in. And then he's in prison, and then he's you know loses to a woman, and then he gets his hand cut off like. There's a lot that really set up his subtle character shifts. Like, what a blow that must be to have this much trust placed into you by your old men. It's the flip side of Tyrion, yeah, who Tyrion right. was made hand of the king and, like, crushed it and then was yanked away from them. Jamie was handed half the kingdom. Couldn't through, do anything with it. And he just happened to run off against one of the best young military minds fighting with a bunch of berserker northmen with a dire wolf. And uh-huh. in, in his land, he got captured. And now he's, I mean, I, I, Jamie's, Jamie's a very complicated guy. Yeah. And then, you know, as much as I don't want to say this about a nobleman, uh, somewhat of a victim of circumstance. Mm. I mean... You know, he's got all the advantages, but a lot of this stuff that's happening is, you know, even down to his love for Cersei. It's kind right. of like that's something he can't control. And that's the thing, like, Jamie wanted to be the knight that Brienne is. Like, that's why right. he joined the Kingsguard, because that's what he always wanted to be. Like, that's what mm-hmm. the best knights, most virtuous knights did, and then... He served for a madman and then a drunk. I mean, he's... That's not his fault. <laughs> no, no. Um, you know, I don't think that excuses you shoving an eight-year-old out of the window. Right, sure. But there's, you know, he's, he's a complicated guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have another point. What did you have? Uh, so there's a scene where Jorah's handed a royal pardon, right? Right. Now, presumably that comes from Robert. Because Robert is the king who would have sent it. Sure. Um, he at least signed it anyway. Yeah, he at least signed it and stamped it. Uh, how how does this work out for Jorah if he comes back and says, hey, I got this royal pardon. Oh, what? Robert's dead and Ned's on the throne? Oh, oh shit. Right. Uh, right. That would that's be bad. bad news. Yeah. Now, Ned, Ned would actually honor it, I think. You think so? Because he's a law and order kind of guy. Even though like, I didn't agree it's with a that dishonorable thing that Jorah I, did. And I got my eye on you, but okay. it pardons a pardon. The more interesting question is what does anyone else do in that situation? Like if Littlefinger sure, is on yeah. the throne or Varys is on the throne or God forbid Cersei's on the throne. Yeah. Um yeah. Which currently I guess Joffrey's on the throne. Joffrey is on the throne. So Yeah, I, I don't know. I I wonder 
you know, what would have happened if he acted on that? I don't now know. Now that we're in the spoiler section, I can say, hey, he doesn't go back. Um, I guess my other point was that, you know, if we take Littlefinger at his word, he doesn't love Cat anymore, which I already talked about in a non-spoiler section, so I'm not sure why. Right. Um, now, I think it's the, 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 a lot of questions we had about, you know, um, what does he feel about, like, has he transferred any of that to Sansa? Is is his love, quote unquote, for Sansa just yet more revenge on Cat? Like, yeah, she's attractive and she's hot and she's young. Mm-hmm. Um, but on the other hand, boy, it'd really stick it to her mom if I made her fall in love with me and she was my queen and I killed her father and I betrayed what was you know like it's like how how deep does the pathos of Littlefinger go? Like, is he? I I, I just don't see him as a man capable of feelings like love yeah but i also don't see him as like, a man interested in a sort of revenge really no man, it seems I, like he, from his speech this episode that's kind of was a formative thing like yeah i i realize i can't win in this way but i want to fuck these guys and and girls really in that's case yeah i guess i didn't take the 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 like getting even sort of thing back it's just like a lesson he learned about how to to get the things he wants. Right. Um, which I view much more as his goal. Just like, I'm going to get the things I want regardless of, you know, who I have to fuck over or whether I'm getting revenge or anything. Like, above all, he's he's looking for power and wealth. Yeah. It could be a linguistic thing. I just think, like, with, if you say mm-hmm. I have to beat someone, like, that doesn't imply any disrespect or feelings. Like, hey, like... Uh, you know, like there's a noble opposition. Like I have respect, but uh, you know, I'm on this side, there, and that side. They have to be defeated, whether it's politically, militarily, rhetorically, whatever. You mm-hmm. say, "I'm gonna fuck that guy." That implies a little bit of malice and hostility and lack of respect, and that's the language sure. he's using. Did he? Um, oh, okay. Yeah, he's like, I, I, it's like I, I can't beat them at their game. I'm gonna fuck them, and and you know, the, in the context, literally, of that scene, that's like it's... I'm a whoremonger and whatever. But right. I also think that there's a little bit of that anger there too. Hmm. Okay. Uh, shall we get the feedback? Yeah. All right. Uh, Hannah H is up first. She says, "I'm listening to your recaps and the most recent episodes, and I've always been thinking, what are Brand's feelings about a situation?" We always see him in the show being dragged around by Mira, etc. In the first season, he's clearly upset and annoying, annoyed by being left by his mother and father. This feeling will only grow in time that he is an outsider. What if, when push comes to shove, he doesn't side with his family and sides with the outsiders who have been put in a situation out of their control, which he saw with the flashbacks? Love to hear your thoughts. Though, this is a somewhat common theory of Bran being kind of like a Dark Lord character. You think he's going to be the savior, he's going to be important, but actually he has to be defeated because he's justifiably consumed with disappointment and alienation. And like, you know, like in The Watchmen, how Dr. Manhattan slowly loses his humanity when he's granted these fantastic supernatural powers. Like, Mm -hmm. could that not happen to a man who talks with trees and sees the future in the past? And yeah, I don't see why not. What what do you where do you come down? Like, how on a scale of one to ten, one being preposterous and Ten being a moral certainty, where do you come down on Brand becoming an evil Dark Lord type of character? Uh, I'm, I'm. That's pretty low on my. Not even like you're not neutral like list. a five. You're like nah. It's more like a two. Ooh, <laughs> ooh. Uh, well, okay. I, I guess I'm holding out hope for the Dragon Rider theory. A, a pretty st- well, no. I'm in general with Game of Thrones a pretty standard story, and that the people you perceive to be good or the people you like 
win generally. Uh, I'm, I'm holding out hope for a positive outcome for the realm. Yeah. And I, I mean, don't view Bran being a bad guy as a very positive outcome. Right. Well, that I might mean, be on me. I mean, I might be setting myself up for disappointment. But, yeah. Yeah. And there, there's like, I but mean, there's, there's a, a storytelling of... mechanic and that's that's a pretty big part of it. So everyone agrees that the idea of like John and Danny getting together and ruling as husband and wife, king and queen, song of ice and fire, yada yada, that's probably too Pollyanna. Okay. I wonder if you could sour that just slightly by having John having to defeat Bran. Because, you know, there's a lot of there's sure. a lot of foreshadowing. Like, um I think it's uh Maester Ammon who says, like, love is the death of duty to him. Mm-hmm. Like you can't do and and you know, clearly he has love for his little brother. Um, you know, he talks about meeting him again sometime. Uh, there was a significant moment where Bran got to see John, and John didn't even know it when there's nor- up there in Craster's Keep. I, I, that would be a way to make that ending that we all think is too saccharine palatable. If if John yeah. has to do something truly awful and some soul searing to, to to win, it'd be like Luke killing Vader. Yeah, right. Yeah, essentially. Yeah. Um. So that I think that would be kind of cool the other things like on the other hand i the the other popular theory is him being a dragon rider where he's like mentally able to control a dragon and ride in that kind of manner which i always thought was kind of cool until this yeah. season it seems like danny can just whistle and they all come running <laughs> sure so, uh-huh. uh anyway there's our thoughts hannah thomas t says of course uh jorah didn't start out spying on danny he started on spying on viserys a person incapable of inspiring loyalty Danny wasn't a factor in it. She just became the primary threat. And once that happened, Jorah changed pretty quickly. So we talked about that. I just wanted to give Thomas credit yeah. for because I, I never really thought about that way, you know. Mm-hmm. And I wonder why Jorah couldn't articulate that. Like I wasn't spying on you. I was spying on your brother. Can you blame me? <laughs> right. Like that's never been like that. That's this is all subtext. I think Thomas is right about. But like I, I don't know. Would that carry? It's like look, the very first time. That I could have really betrayed you for real, I didn't. So mm-hmm. how about you harsh all this banishment crap? Uh, Stephanie B says today I sat down and listened to season one episode five podcast and realized there's some serious similarities between Cat and Cersei. Both women seem to act purely on emotion or seeking vengeance for wrongs done to them. Cat treats John terribly because Ned hurts her feelings. Cat seeks out Tyrion for an attempted murder of Bran, although the information isn't that reliable and comes from someone she hasn't seen in years and trust only based on their shared history. Of course, Littlefinger. What follows is a shitload of misery, misunderstanding, and action before thought. Abandoning her home, her children, her duties, and northern principles for the pursuit of someone who might have committed a crime against you. Come on, Cat, you're better than that. The Tully words of family, duty, and honor don't seem to reside within Cat. It's more like vengeance before all. This characterization reminds me of someone else. Oh, yes, Cersei. While I understand and appreciate the whole a mother will do anything to protect her children motive, it does leave me to wonder how far down the path Cat would have taken her quest for vengeance. Though we'll never know how she would have turned out, we do know that Lady Stoneheart cares only for revenge. In the same way, Cersei seems to consistently be blinded by her own heart's desires. She wants revenge on her father for not taking her seriously because she's a woman. She wants revenge on Robert for loving Lyanna. She took revenge on the shame Septa with the mountain and revenge on Marjorie and the High Sparrow with her big kaboom. Had Catelyn survived the Red Wedding, would it would we have seen an even more vengeful and quite honestly stupid Catelyn who makes decisions based on emotions and not her intellect? If yes, is that the reason Lady Stoneheart is such a vengeful monster? Uh, what's your opinion, Jim? 
it's tough because in some ways you could say she, she Catelyn, is doing all this for family. I mean, Bran lost the use of his legs. If she wants revenge for that, isn't that a form of family? Yeah. Now, neglecting her duties as a mother, uh, specifically toward Bran, mm-hmm. who lost his fucking legs and needs his mom around, uh, and and a lot of the other stuff that Catelyn does kind of goes against family. Right. And I, I agree with that part of the email. I just, like, where do you draw that line? Like, because the revenge is also part of the family. Yes. But it's a very complicated thing. Yeah. And I I feel like that's more revenge is more tied up with duty and honor than it is with family. You know, because I suppose is it more important to right the wrong or is it more important to comfort and protect the family you still have? Uh, And, you know, as Lady Star, it's interesting because it's essentially in the books. She's if you took Kat and you stripped all of her human compassion and redeeming qualities and just left her with things that um, uh, uh, Stephanie points out here, her her vengeance and her kind of a short-sighted pursuit of such. Um, I don't know. I don't know. You're, it, it, I, I want to rebel against the idea that she's the same as Cersei because <laughs> right. Cersei was a point-of-view character and we kind of like are with her on the ride and descend into madness. Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, with, with by the time Lady Stoneheart, we get Lady... She's not a POV character. We don't really know what's going on in her mind at all. Yeah. But, I mean, I, I don't know that I have any rational other than Kat is a good person and <laughs> and fights for the good guys, you know? The eight-year-old schoolyard logic. <laughs> exactly. But Kat's good. Yeah, she's married to Ned. Ned was good, wasn't he? You know, it's like... Right. I... I if Robert was a Targaryen, we, or I'm sorry, Lannister, we'd probably talk a hell of a lot more shit about him than mm-hmm. we kind of already do because he's a terrible king. So I don't know. Interesting yeah, question. It's though. complicated. I I do like I, I don't want to dismiss the email and say that none of that is right because I think it partially is. It is frustrating though when you see her like point of view characters when she's dealing with Rob when he becomes king of the North and she just, oh yeah you know because she tries to give him counsel and some of it's good. Some of it is self-serving and, mm-hmm. and, and self-righteous. Um, I especially remember reading the chapter where, uh, Rob announces that he wants to make John the heir of Winterfell hmm. in case he dies in the battle to come. And Kat just says like, Oh, I've lost everything despite all. I'm like, come the fuck on. Right. Like, ah, oh, Jesus. Um, so I, I, I don't know. She's always been on the cusp of me being, being able to have sympathy for her. Mm-hmm. Uh, T.J. McSee said in 105, The Wolf and the Lion, concerning the small council debate on whether to assassinate the young Daenerys, you mentioned in the podcast that it's this fear of some far-flung future where they may or not be able to come across the sea. Will they even be able to get there? Their entire culture goes against it. They have no boats. It's like saying the Mongols would invade North America. North America? No. But there actually (laughs) was a real Mongol campaign to stage an epic invasion across the narrow sea which may go a long way to giving us a glimpse into the mind of martin if historical parallels between a song of ice and fire and a war of roses are anything to extrapolate from he talks about the mongol invasion of japan which is a failed attempt by the great kublai Khan, uh uh, kublai khan rather to conquer the japanese archipelago okay together the mongols combined with an allied chinese and korean force embarked with a fleet of four thousand ships and nearly uh, 140,000 soldiers. The invasion stalled as the Mongol forces couldn't find a safe place to land their massive fleet. Although severely outnumbered, the Japanese defense was heavily armored and fortified the coastline. As the Mongol fleet was stuck floating just offshore, a massive typhoon, which spawned the term kamikaze, 
of course Japanese for divine wind, struck with such force that the entire Mongol fleet was destroyed. The Mongols suffered over 100,000 casualties and their navy was annihilated. This event marked the beginnings of the end of their great empire. It's fascinating how often that happens in history. Like the Spanish lost their naval influence in a big fucking storm. The Persians arguably lost uh, the the long-term Greek war because they suffered a a calamitous uh, series of storms trying to invade Greece. It's like that's – I mean (laughs) – Back in the day when you had wooden ships and you're out on a treacherous sea, things mm-hmm. can go south very pretty quick. It's the type of shit that gets written down in books and believed as acts of God. Yeah, <laughs> right. Um, there are obvious parallels between the Dothraki and their real-world counterparts, nomadic horse-riding Mongols. I mean, obviously, Great Cal, Great Khan, come on. Right. But when you look, look at this kamikaze event, it all lines up so cleanly. Mm-hmm. A massive army of nomadic horsemen plus support troops added from previous conquest – a much-needed and massive navy borrowed from new allies, uh, Chinese, Korean ships for the Mongols, Greyjoys plus Dornish for the Dothraki, sailing across the narrow sea between Japan and mainline, mainland Asia, a clash of fighting styles with the Japanese samurai and fortified coastal positions sound just like the Knights of Westeros wearing steel dresses and stone houses. Adding to that, the weather event known as the Kamikaze is thought to have been caused by a confluence of two separate storm systems, much like in the movie The Perfect Storm. Meanwhile, in Westeros, winter is coming with some cold fronts that are going to wreak meteorological havoc on the weather systems around King's Landing. It just makes sense that some massive storm would be a feature of the seasonal transition. Um, This is fascinating to me because it's such a triumphant scene in the end of season six, Uh but... You know, also, she was born on Dragonstone during this cataclysmic storm. We talked about that's why she's called um, Stormborn. Stormborn. Yeah. And, you know, Storm's Inn, which is the the seat of the Baratheons, is also famously for, all, for being pounded by storm. She's landing on this coast that's kind of like a bit of the North Atlantic. Um, would that – what would your reaction be if she loses 90% of her forces crossing the Narrow Sea in some freak storm? Is it a freak storm, or is it caused by the White Walkers coming south? Is or it... is there a casual, casual relationship there? Also, there's a... Right, like, if it's 100% just, like, freak storm out of yeah. nowhere, I, I'm not certain I like it, even though, yeah, what, it has historical context and all that. Is in the books, this Euron Greyjoy is said to be kind of like a warlock of the seas, and he uses mm-hmm. human sacrifice and black magic to control winds, which is why okay. he's able to sail around as fast as he does in, in the books. I wonder if that would be a book thing, like that he summons up some kind of, like after presumably his brother Victorian double crosses him with Danny and the Dragonhorn, if if he gets revenge somehow by taking them out. And also that would also kind of neatly explain like, because it seems like this is a done deal. She's going to land in Westeros and just fuck shit right. up. Yeah. Because it's so weak. Well, this would be a good way to even the odds. If there's this massive storm, she rides off with the dragons and a couple of advisors and loses all of her... F- but on the other hand, it also feel kind of fucking futile. Sure, sure, it definitely would. I mean, if she, I, I don't know. Uh, we talked in in Fargo season one about this fish NATO thing mm. that happened. That's kind of become a trope, right? Um, it, you know, it's it's Deus Ex Machina. It's the right. uh, you know God from the Machine sort of thing that just comes in and changes everything, and that's that came out of nowhere i i wonder how you feel about that you know given the very literal like connection there with the fish nato 
and a storm out of nowhere taking out all these ships. Do you a divine wind? Right. How <laughs> how would you feel about that? Because I know you were you were staunchly against that fish NATO. It's all about like how likely things are to happen based right. on how fortuitous they would be to happen. Whereas sure, okay. like, you know, these things do occur. Like there's for yeah. there's there's historical precedent in this universe of like, you know, these 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 terrible storms that aff- aff- afflict the there's tons of historical precedent where not only did freak storms happen, but they brought massive invasions to their knees and changed naval powers and all that stuff. So it's like and I think there's a way to do it. Yeah. Where you can like foreshadow the storm a little bit. Yeah. And like they can say, "Hey, we're sailing into like the, the very dark clouds, you know, they're mm-hmm. like people are pointing out all these obviously bad things about the storm." Right. And like Daenerys just wants to continue going because that's what they're doing. Yeah. I, I think there's a way to to tell that story without making me feel Yeah. Bad and I, about I, it. I don't think like the f- fish NATO-ness of it would bother me more that like Jesus six seasons all we've wanted is for Daenerys right. to take a big force over across the narrow sea and start ruling mm-hmm. and it's like we finally get that moment and they instantly knock that out from underneath us it's not the freakish and like un- implausibility it's like all too plausible but boy I don't want to see it as a viewer okay <laughs> Um, right, but man, like I, I tell you, when you read the stuff that TJ lined, lined up here, it seems like that would be just the kind of barring from historicity that Martin mm-hmm. likes to do. Yep. Um, even with the narrow, like man, the the analysis, the analogy between mainland China and the narrow and the the was that the Gulf of Japan and the Japanese mainland. That's like yeah, and that coalition of different. Yeah, I mean, there are like four or five new allies, like factions this is in really. <laughs> I know one to one mapping, man. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Connor Ob says the first part of this is more for Aaron. A general question about your opinion of Gurm's writing style. Super tinfoil theories like time traveling Tyrion aside, do you think Gurm will or should close all threads on some of the more reputable theories out there by the end of the saga? Would it be satisfying to still be able to speculate about character events, motivations, and machinations when A Song of Ice and Fire is finished? Or would you prefer everything to be wrapped up with a nice bow on top? In your Season 1, Episode 5 cast, you mentioned that most of your most of your curious theories involves various true in-games ambitions. What if that's never fully realized in the books? We know Gurm is a gardener and has this three-step reveal process, but how would you feel if some of these more nail-in-the-head theories and ideas never reach that crucial third step? <sighs> wow. Uh, first of all, you got to question how you can draw the line between legit theories that George Martin is intending and gardening and what is just insane shit from Reddit because people are bored with not having a new book out in five years. Right. Because, man, there is a lot of really plausible stuff yeah. that Martin just like, hey, uh, cool, but I was not really intending to go there. Right. How much of that is true, though? A. Right. Because there's a really, there's actually a really cool tinfoil I want to talk about. I might, I might do it before air the season's over. That I found like the tr- first newly like, probably the first one in a year that I sat up and like, wow, analysis about Braun and how like wolfish he is um, portrayed to be in the books. Like he's a, there's a lot of wolf attributes to him. Like the fact that his his laughter is described as howling, and there's a bunch of other stuff to it, and how that might tie into the end of the books and. You know him being like like playing a crucial role in the war, which I thought was super interesting. But I could also see like 
Uh, Martin, like, I wanted people to think of him as, like, this predator. So I gave him a lot of wolfish traits. And, you know, you're supposed to feel dangerous. And it's like, what is foreshadowing and what is just, you know, trying to paint a vivid character? I don't know. Right. So I would say that, like, I don't know that he has to solve the mystery of Varys. Like, that could just be a fun little thing that kind of goes nowhere. Like, you know, I talked a lot about, like, real history is like that. Lots of people planned lots of shit. Most of it doesn't work out. You only hear about the stuff that does. So I don't think he has to touch on everything. I mean, honestly, like, the core, you know, Jon Snow's parentage had to be addressed. Uh, I think I think Danny's prophecies are the ones that I th- feel like have to really bear fruit. Um, the Valonqar part of Cersei's prophecy. That shit that's, like... Not just reading between the lines, but this is significant. This is foreshadowing a prophecy, and it might not yeah. go down the way you think it is, but that shit has to be addressed or I'll be disappointed. The other stuff about, you know, is Varys a merman? Is Varys really a woman? Is Varys married to Illyrio, and they're putting their illegitimate son on the... Like, that stuff, I don't know. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, secondly, I'm surprised no one wrote in about the scene of the mountain and the hounds squaring off in the tournament. Seeing that scene played out in the visual media is what fueled my hype for the Clegane Bowl... Granted, in the books, at the time of the possible Clegane Bowl, both Sandor and Gregor are much different physically. Sandor's injury and Gregor's zombification, for example. I always like this scene because it shows how, in a normal circumstances, Sandor would be considered a brute fighter who relies on strength and prowess to defeat his foes. But when stacked against his brother, the Mountain, who is the ultimate brute, comes across as much more calculating and skillful to be able to stand toe-to-toe with his brother and stalemate him. Thoughts? Um, you know, I'm surprised we didn't get a little bit hyped in Clegane Bowl with that scene. We talked about it, about it being a really cool moment, but we really make that connection. I'm kind of disappointed in us, Jim. Yeah. No, well, some things slip through the cracks. Yeah. Uh, I, he, so when I think about the Clegane Bowl at this point and getting over the f- kind of complete womp, womp, womp nature of last season in regards to that, I kind of think, like, how does that not come off as a lesser version of the mountain and the viper sure like that's the ultimate juxtaposition of skill and nimbleness versus brute force and strength reach versus grasp you know i mean the emotion would be there but you also had the emotion like oberon desperately wanted to get justice for his sister and vengeance on the lannisters and he fucked it up like even knowing the little brother, big brother, burnt face nature of their struggle, is that going to be anything but a pale imitation? Yeah, that's that's fair. I I can't say I, I can't really argue against that because, like, as much as I would like to see the mountain and the hound go at it, I right. I guess maybe for us as viewers, we feel a little more connected to the hound mm-hmm. um, than we did to Oberyn, I guess, mm-hmm. at that time. So. Whoa. Oh, Maybe it'll man. be more satisfying. I don't know. You don't think so? You, I, I, did you not feel really fucking connected with Oberyn when he's like, I will be your champion, and he's whipping the mountain's ass? like Right, but I never knew his sister. right? Ah, so like, you. I didn't know who the fuck he was really fighting for. I barely understood and the we never implications got of what he was saying happened. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so I, I wasn't as connected with the fight. Yeah, I liked I Oberyn. Okay. Um, but the hound, I understand, like all He's the complexities of his childhood, and, yeah. and his his long conversation with Arya and associate. We right. see, you know, like one of the greatest moments is when Brienne's confronting him about Arya, and he's and he's saying that he's looking, you know, 
she challenges him like, oh, looking after her, is that what you're doing? He's like, aye, that's what I'm doing. Like, that's like a real redemptive moment for him. Yeah. Um, and I, he's had just moment after moment where I've been impressed with the Hound. Like, you think if he was born in a different family and a different, like, he might be like Sir Duncan the Tall reborn or uh, or a masculine version of Brienne of Tarth. Right. Um, but he didn't. So maybe it'd be satisfying in that we're we're more interested in that character's conflict. Right. Uh, or at least I am. I can't yeah. speak for everyone. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I mean, on the other hand, we get so few really badass sword fights. Like, you yeah. got Ned and Jane, but that was kind of like an asterisk. Uh, Jamie versus Brian, but you know Jamie was handcuffed. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Brian versus the Hound. Uh, we got Ned versus uh, Sir Arthur Dane. Yeah, like you, you, we hear about it a lot. Like you, you always this 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 big Titanic Robert with his big ass Warhammer versus Rhaegar Targaryen <laughs> Caven. You always hear about all these badass things, and you don't ever see them. So I'm like, I kind of would like to see these like tanks go at it. That would be kind of cool. In a very yeah. Pacific uh, Rim kind of way, like these giant hulking metal things smashing in each other would be cool. Uh, all right, any other thoughts? No. Jeff W. On episode 105 of the podcast, you guys discuss your confusion over to show Varys' involvement in the plot to assassinate Danny, mm-hmm. i.e., why risk killing Danny if he's secretly plotting to put the character ter- ter- put the Targaryens back on the throne? I think his actions are totally consistent, but just not obvious. That would be consistent with Varys' MO, I would uh-huh. say. Yep. Varys has seen to arrange assassination since he was instructed by the king and the small council, but he doesn't want to assassinate Danny since he is secretly plotting to put her back on the throne. He also can't be caught sabotaging the assassination plan, so he sends a message to Jorah hardening him. He knows this information will tip off Jorah about the assassination since he would only be pardoned if his spying duties were complete. Though Varys' spy network, he knows that Jorah is forming connection with Danny, and therefore correctly assumes that Jorah will take this information to prevent the assassination. I wouldn't be surprised if Varys also had a backup plan, but his first method is much smarter because there is no direct connection between him and the prevented assassination. For proof, if you think about why would if you think about it, why would Varys send that message to Jorah? The best way to ensure the success of a secret plot is to not give anyone any hints of his existence. If Varys truly wanted Danny dead, it was sloppy of him to pardon Jorah before the deed was done. How does this strike you? That's that I think is fair. I think his analysis is right on, but mm-hmm. I wish there was something would show that he had a backup plan because it's also incredibly risky. It is. Like what? It relies entirely on Jorah's mental state at the moment, which I do think that he probably did have little birds, and he probably was aware of Mm -hmm. their closeness of the relationship, and uh, you know. But I don't like if this is central and a a, a big central thing that he was trying to put the Targaryens back in the throne. That's a big roll of the dice. But I kind of think this analysis is right on. This is exactly what we're supposed to understand. Okay. Uh, Dasha says, "Can you explain, please, if Arya killed the Freys and his or Walder Frey and his sons? Does that mean the twins now belong to Edmure Tully because he was married to his daughter? And what about Riverrun? If so, does that mean that the whole of the North will now unite against King's Landing? Well, doesn't uh, Frey have those other two kids? Doesn't he have a bunch of kids? Well, the, I don't two, know what the, Tully... the two ones that he was primarily talking about and antagonizing and was commanding the force of sieging Riverrun are the ones that Arya baked in the pie, right?" 
shit. So, so he doesn't. <laughs> I mean, he's got like shit ton. Like we've right. seen he's got like 40, 50 kids and then the books are always squabbling and they keep track of who's in line and like, well, you're fifth and I'm eighth. And, um, but they're also like, you think that his, the two eldest are probably the most capable uh-huh. and they just and got done. baked. So I kind of feel like they're done now. So Edmure can only run one keep, one castle, right? Right. So he's got to pick. And whether he wants River Run or I would take River Run and put your yeah. most trusted lord in charge of the 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 twins. Yeah, would uh, that be a fray? That would be a no. Nah, I would. I'd get the phrase the fuck out yeah. of there. It, or one of. I mean, there's lots of bannermen in the Riverlands that he could elevate or whatnot. But sure. it's got to be. It's got to be really nice knowing that because because Frey's been such an asshole and he's absolutely crucial. He's got this chokehold of this important chokehold. <laughs> a strategic location uh-huh. it'd, be, it'd be so nice to get the phrase out of there honestly yeah no, it's, i'm it's, all for it like if ne- it's like it's like the thing with the boltons like if ned could just like say okay boltons you're out of there i'm sure he probably would have because they've always been kind of the you know evil vampiric side of the righteous north but mm-hmm. um yeah i i don't know exactly how it'll come out but i think the analysis is is right on uh the other thing is the riverlands are not part of the north they're still Sad. The, the only thing in the north is hmm. the north. Everything else is the south. Okay. So the the Tullys were not bannermen of Ned. They decided with him because he was married to their daughter, and hmm. that was part of the coalition with the John John Aaron, who's also not a bannerman. That's the Vale is its own mountainous territory. Okay. Right. So, uh, David from Melbourne says, on a note about the Lannisters' hair color, I always took the darkening of Jaime and Tyrion's hair as a sign of them losing their Lannisterness. Mm. Jamie's hair starts to get dark when he is a captive and with Brienne gets a little bit lighter when he's back in King's Landing with Cersei and then darker again when he leaves her. Tyrion starts off super blonde, then gets darker and darker, particularly after the Blackwater and is just straight up brown for the last few seasons. Cersei, Joffrey, Marcella and Tommen, by contrast, all have blonde hair until the very end, signifying they're always Lannisters. I'm not sure if it's intentional, but that's uh, the thought that I had. What Tyrion, do you think? Went, Tyrion went through an emo phase, got real dark there for a while. He, I mean, with him and the beard, he's just, he's just the Blackbeard the pirate at this point. Yeah. Um, I kind of, because, yeah, like, I, I guess if I squint, Jamie has kind of, like, d- dirty blonde hair this season. Uh-huh. Whereas I do remember once, as soon as he gets taken captive, like, they just fucking, he's like, nope, no more. I'm not lightening my hair. Fuck you guys. Then he just has dirty blonde hair. <laughs> it's just real dirty. <laughs> uh... Yeah, I, I, and then when he gets his little Caesar cut, it's like super dark. I, I guess, I still think it's weird that you're like people refer to him as a golden-haired Lannister to his yeah. face, and he's got his hair as dark as yours, man. The real question is, what color is Varys' hair? And until I know the answer to that, I don't know who, I don't know where his loyalties lie. And does the carpet match the drapes? No, I don't know. <laughs> but it, I mean, it's maybe all, he shaved it's his all head. Hardwood floors, top and bottom. <laughs> God. <laughs> Yep. <laughs> Smooth veneer. Um, yeah, no, that's... Um, Could I mean, be a Lannister in disguise. Shit, man. There's so many Varys as a secret Targaryen. And, right. like, you know, based a lot on this. I mean, I did a whole podcast on, like, Varys theories way back. If you look in the mm-hmm. spoiler archives, you can you can find those. Um, and they're fun, and I, I don't know how plausible they are. Uh, Chang K mentions, you mentioned in passing, passing that Cersei ordered a massacre of Robert's Bastards. However, we're shown in Season 2, Episode 2, The Nightlands, when Tyrion realizes that it was Joffrey and not Cersei who ordered the massacre. Yeah. I mean, that's in the show. Okay. Yeah. Huh. Uh, now, I don't know if that's conclusively... Pr- I, I can't remember if that's... 
something that Tyrion figures out in Cersei's presence and that like we we is like that is theory or do we know for sure? But I do mm-hmm. remember that when mentioned. Man, it I gotta give it up to the double D's because we we talk about some of their gaffes and like some of the plot holes and, and stuff like that, but it's gotta be a bitch to keep all this stuff straight. I mean, all oh, yeah. I'm doing is podcasting and reading about it, and I do unforced errors like this. So, mm-hmm. um, part of it is just I can't talk right. But yeah, that's just I've forgotten about that. Uh, Troy C. And you know that also tracks clean because Joff was genuinely outraged at his accusation. I could see where he'd be like, you know, fuck all these bad. I'm gonna kill them all. Like I'm going to be the only. I'm gonna be the one true son of my daddy. Right. Because uh, that's the other thing we found out that like Except Joff, for the other two. Well, sons of his right. daddy. <laughs> uh, but you know, Joff actually has genuine feeling for Robert. That's the, the other, other thing one, I got. You, th- didn't you get that in this episode? Uh, yeah, he's, yeah. He's genuinely distraught about his dad's bedside. Sure. So uh, that kind of leads credence to the the, uh, the theory that he killed Bran uh, as a way to weird way to kind of get in with his dad. That he tried to kill. Him, tried right? to kill him. Yeah. Right. Um. So yeah, I, I thought those are all interesting shades of his character. Hmm. Uh, Troy C, and this is the final email. I'd have thought that I'm really surprised that you or your listeners have not brought up in a spoiler section of this season yet regarding Ned's refusal to have Danny killed. He lists a bunch of good reasons in the show, but could Ned's actual motivation to uh, be that he does not want to eliminate members of John's family? When thinking about Targaryens, Ned must inevitably think of John too, right? His refusal to have Danny killed be out of love or loyalty to John and the off chance that he ever gets to meet the rest of his family? Hmm. I'll go further and say that I don't know if it's that, but I do think that in, whenever he sees Robert going crazy to kill Targaryens, that it triggers Ned's like PTSD and like, oh does, shit! Yeah. Like if he ever found out about John, this is all I'm. I, this is all going to happen in my family. That's a good point. And Ned promised to tell John about all this shit when he got back. So right. like. He comes back and says, oh, yeah, by the way, I voted to kill your, what, cousin at that aunt, point? I think. Your aunt. aunt. Yeah. He might not be happy about that. Yeah, and I am kind of disappointed myself because I know that thought was somewhere in my mind. Like, mm-hmm. it'll be interesting when you see Ned's passionate defense of Daener- Daenerys. And now that we know that he knew yeah. that this was John's blood relation and this is essentially the same stuff that he would say about John, his his nephew like that does give an extra poignancy to those scenes like this isn't just yeah. him talking about right and wrong this is a personal matter to him sure like why do you have the heart on for the targaryen children man uh yeah no that's interesting i had never even thought about that so another quick note master aemon is a targaryen so he must be related to john too could you intelligent gentlemen spell out for your listeners how they're specifically related within the targaryen family oh shit <laughs> Uh, I actually did like 300 years old. I copy and paste this email and I didn't, I don't think I, I got this last paragraph. So I'm going to, I think, I think that the mad King is Eamon's brother, which means that, that, uh, Rhaegar was his, and, and all that, the Royal family is his niece and nephews and the children are murder is grandnieces. And I remember there's a scene coming up. Where, you know, Rob calls his banners and becomes king of the north and John wants to leave. And Eamon says about, like, the times that he was tested. And he gets really worked up and emotional talking about being up in the wall and hearing the usurpers killing his, you know, nieces and grandnieces or maybe 
grand uh, it can't be grandchildren because he didn't have any um but i think that daenerys would be his grandniece which would okay. mean and john would be his is also grand or uh, grand nephew so he'd be his great uncle yeah like john's great uncle they're, they're is... both because he's still to be like right yeah these are all the you know these are like daenerys is john's aunt which means that to you know her father's father's brother it's still that's still like great aunt and great uncle territory right i think so yeah yeah family trees hella confused confusing mm-hmm. um now ammon's old enough that he actually might be like one generation older um, but I don't think Jeez. so. I think him and him and uh, the Mad like King he, are. If he's the uncle of the Mad King, oh holy shit! Yeah, um, yeah. But I mean, he is like 102 years old <laughs> at the start of this whole thing. Yeah. Uh, so I, I will look that up, and if I'm wrong, I'll I'll have a retraction. I'm sure I'll have like a half a dozen emails uh, correcting me anyway. But if that's wrong, but that's that's how I think they're related. You know what? If I were, oh I don't know, Ancestry.com. I would be doing a campaign. I would have like, go look up the <laughs> great uncle of John. I would be like, doing a whole campaign around this right now. Oh shit! He is the uncle, long forgotten uncle of the oh, Mad King. I just Jesus. looked it up now. So he's a great great uncle. Yeah. So just put another layer uh, of generation in between it, and there you man. go. Man, because every time we see the Mad King, he's fucking super old, and he's got like yeah. the really long. Fi- I mean, that's the thing. Looking like he Walter might, Frey. He might honestly. not even be that old Walter. because it's, it's kind of like, um, you know, in the aviator when, uh, Hughes starts losing his mind, he's got the long fingernails uh-huh. and the beard, like he just scraggly uh-huh. and that plays as old, but he's not actually that old. So there you go. Uh, right. Cause they also have the white hair. So it's like, true. What the fuck? How yeah. old are you, man? Right. Yeah. Are you, are you, are you 20? Are you 80? <laughs> <laughs> What's going Cut on? Cut your here? fingernails. I need to know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. So there you go. Um, that's all we have. All right. Uh, Game of Thrones at baldmove.com if you'd like to send us feedback or to forums, forums.baldmove.com if you'd like to talk with your fellow fans. All right. Well, we'll see you guys next week. Yeah. Next week's going to be. Is that. I think it's Dungeon Ned. And then the following week is. I think Ned might Ned get executed bed? next next episode. Like I don't, I genuinely don't, I don't remember know. whether yeah. the hammer falls in eight or nine. Me either. But there's lots of shit, man. There's going to be so much. Like one thing is, um, I know some some topics are so. So here's some topics for advanced discussion. Uh, John's a Targaryen mm-hmm. gets his hand burned. What's up with that? Oh shit. Uh, it, also, uh, the other thing is if if whites can't cross the wall uh-huh. and we've seen what it looks like when a white crosses one of these magical thresholds, they just explode. Mm-hmm. How the hell does a black brother who's a white come under the wall and reanimate and try to kill the Lord commander? Good Plot question. hole. Or is there a magical explanation for it all? I'm sure there is, but next we'll, time <laughs> we'll know in on a week. game of Thrones, the podcast. <laughs> all right. See you guys. Bye-bye.